Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Time now for the Character and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. everyone happy friday eve it is 701 your time check brought to you by clarkson jewelers an officially licensed rolex jeweler great to have you with us for the next three hours i said to michelle when she walked through the door this morning happy thursday and you corrected me and i'm glad that you did thank you i said actually it's happy friday eve randy but i appreciate the sentiment and so happy friday eve to you as well it should be a great day of sports and by the way we're going to talk to greg amzinger at the bottom of the hour john kelly voice of the blues on bally sports will join us at 8.15 at 8.45. More hockey with Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic. We're also going to talk to Jesse Rogers at 9 o'clock from ESPN. He wrote an article about tanking in baseball. And then our friend Isaac Bruce has a youth event coming up, Michelle, at what used to be Rams Park, now is the uh, uh, Lufus Athletic Center and Isaac, the Hall of Famer, will join us at 9.15. So a busy day. And a lot of great conversations on deck. Looking forward to that. The Cardinals will open up a four-game series at Milwaukee this afternoon. It's Milwaukee's home opener. Milwaukee is in the 414 area code. So the game starts at 414 on 414, 414, that's the date. And they have $4.14 tickets in the 414 area code. How clever. That's great. So the Cardinals win 41 to 4? Mm. Would be fun. Yeah. They did they scored 29 in a game in spring training, so it's not that far off. Yeah, that's right. Albert Pujols is cooking too, coming off a home mm-hmm. run. I mean, who knows. So you the reason you're thinking is cuz Wayno's pitching and there's no way they allow four runs. Yeah, there there's absolutely no way they lose. There's no way they allow four runs. So it has to be that that final score that you mentioned, 41 to Well, no. Yeah, Why don't they just win Four, well, I'm trying to think of how. Oh, four to one. Another way you could do this with those yeah. numbers. Maybe four to one, and uh, they have four hits. Okay, there you go. Boom. Done. Okay, good. Wayno and Brandon Woodruff today in the Brewers' home opener. Miles Michaelis and Freddie Peralta go tomorrow in game two. Game three on Saturday. Steven Matz against Doogie Hauser. And then Dakota, Dakota Hudson goes against Aaron Ashby on Sunday. Aren't you so glad? I mean, not glad that there was a rainout yesterday because we all would have loved to watch Cardinal baseball, mm-hmm. but aren't you glad that it lines up that Adam Wainwright is getting the ball? first versus the Brewers. I do think that that's a big advantage for the Cardinals. And I'm not sure yet. I don't know if I'll ever be sure about Dakota Hudson. I like the idea of Hudson not starting in Milwaukee against that particular team. You don't think you'll ever be sure? Aren't we hoping that at the end of this season, we are emphatically sure about Dakota Hudson? I am emphatically sure by the end of the season that Dakota Hudson will have spent at least half of it on the IL. So you're... So positive about Jack Flaherty coming back. I mean, what do we have here? 24 mm-hmm. starts, 16 and 4, 2.73 ERA. Mm-hmm. That's your prediction for Jack Flaherty. Mm-hmm. You're that confident in Jack Flaherty coming back from injury, but Dakota Hudson, who for all intents and purposes is healthy, you think that he's going to spend half the season on the IL? That 
is my guess, and I have reasoning behind okay. my guess. I want to hear it. Dakota Hudson, so far in um, Dakota Hudson. Did I say Dakota Hudson? I meant Jordan Hicks. I'm yeah, sorry. yes, you said Dakota Hudson. I was Dakota like, Hudson, he's going to be did fine. You, did Dakota, you, thank yeah, you. I was like, what? The, the H thing. No, the, the, but Jordan Hicks. Okay. Dakota Hudson's like, going to be fine. Why wouldn't you be uh, emphatically confident yeah. in Dakota Hudson? Only because he had Tommy John last year. But no, I'm confident in him. Okay. He looks so we're, healthy. We're good. Looks I, I just started typing and I said, what the hell am I doing? Okay. No, Jordan I Hicks is going to get hurt. You know what? We're, it's almost Friday. It's almost Friday. Our brains are. Yeah. Right a little bit. So anyway, we're, we're good there. Okay, good. Meanwhile, the Blues will play tonight. They are in Buffalo to take on the Sabres, who, by the way, have been hot of late in their last 16 games, 9, 5, and 3. Does that equal 17 games, right? 9, 14, 5, 15. Yeah, 9, 5, and 3 in their last 17. And so the Blues need to find a way to beat teams that they should beat. They need to continue to do that. It's great to beat Boston. You have to beat teams like Boston. But you also, if you want to finish in that second playoff spot, I know David Perron doesn't really care, but we do. If you want to have home ice in the first round of the playoffs, you have to be able to beat the bad teams. And the Blues have struggled with that at times this season. But mm-hmm. during this stretch, Randy, they've beaten teams of all sorts of calibers. And I think if they continue to play their game and go out there with a the game plan, start fast like they have been, I think they'll be just fine. Fast starts six straight games, scoring the first goal for the Blues. Braden Shen, why has that been the case? I guess just kind of coming prepared, being ready and, and not waiting, um, not really feeling the game out, um, kind of going at it. And and uh, obviously had a great start great for a shift obviously to score the next one but uh, great start last night and um, you know guys this time of year are just ready to play we spoke about that with David Perron a couple weeks ago because that's a kind of a un or a negative pattern that the Blues had fallen into mm-hmm. where the opposition was scoring first and even though the Blues in some of those contests would come back they would rally and end up winning the game they felt like they were chasing all the time and I think it was about two weeks ago that I had asked David Perron about that and he said yeah it's something we're very cognizant of we actually talked about it uh, today at practice we talked about it before the game last night we want to make sure that we're scoring first so glad to see that they not only identified it Randy but they've been putting it into practice it'll be interesting to find out and we'll ask David next week why or who was the genesis of that? Mm. Where in the room did it come from? Did it come from the coaching staff? Did it come from the players? Because obviously when you have that dramatic of a turnaround, I think they've gone eight of nine allowing the first goal, now scoring the first goal in six in a row. Something happened. And you'd think that in any game, you want to be the team that scores first. Usually the team that scores mm-hmm. first is in a better position and goes on and wins. So I'm kind of surprised that that wasn't always a goal. Um, and maybe it's because come playoff time, you know that you don't want to be chasing teams. You're The teams that you're going to be competing against are really good, and the margin for error is smaller and smaller. So... Even though the Blues were able to overcome deficits at many points throughout the season, maybe they were looking at whatever point in the schedule and saying, we need to self-correct because this is not going to fly in the playoffs. And our point of reference in terms of self-correcting, in terms of facing adversity and dealing with adversity, obviously is 2019 because the Blues were in last place and then came back and won the Stanley Cup. And Shen was asked about the similarities between this 2022 team and the team that won the Stanley Cup in 2019. I think the culture's always been good here. Uh, it's been built for a while now, and, and it's just our job to keep on um, you know, passing it on year to year. Um, you know, the Blues, they're you know, obviously not the biggest market in the NHL, but they've always had a solid team, and that's just really built on uh, a team mentality, team culture, and guys buying in. Um, if you kind of look in the past, there's 
uh, you know, there's not too many superstars, you know, kind of coming to St. Louis. It's just a bunch of good hockey players that want to play for one another, and ultimately, um, you know, that wins. And and uh, regarding the Blues from 2019, the Blues now, I mean, seems some similar uh, similarities a little bit. Obviously, we still got big D back there. We got good skating D, good goalies. Um, you know, we got guys who can score. Year by year, it's going to be a little bit different, but I think if you have guys that have won in the past, knows what it takes to win. Um, you know, just having that uh, you know culture and mentality in the, in the locker room goes a long way. And going back to what he said right off the top, I do think there's a method to Doug Armstrong's madness mm-hmm. in not having the eight and nine million dollar players on this team that. Tarasenko and O'Reilly are the highest paid guys at seven and a half, and then you pay a bunch of guys six and a half, rather than having, for example, Edmonton, where you have a couple of guys making 11 or 12, and then a bunch of guys that are making two or three. There is pretty good balance throughout the Blues roster. Yeah, there's really not a canyon as far as uh, talent disparity on this team, and we've seen in 2019 how that works, because that's what it is with the Blues. When you have a lot of guys that are relatively on the same talent level, it is a uh, an easier way for you to be wave after wave after wave when there isn't really that weak link on a team. And finally, before we get to the thing that's really bothering Michelle today, a couple of NBA games last night. The Hawks over the Hornets, 132-103. to 103. So Atlanta will play, cl- play Cleveland for the right to get into the Eastern Conference playoffs. And the Pelicans beat the Spurs, 113-103. to 103. So the Pelicans advance as well, and they will play in the next round of the playoffs against the L.A. Clippers for the right to play in the playoffs. Who are you going to cheer for in the playoffs? Well, Boston. Well, obviously Jason Tatum, but yeah. is there another team that you're intrigued by? I'm intrigued by Memphis. Close ja. proximity, Ja Moran. Me too. And just uh, the, those are the kind of teams. I, I get tired of the super teams. I like the teams that get put together by an organization, and that's clearly what Memphis has done. And Ja wore the Cardinals hat. Right. That was huge. Cute. Major. All right, Michelle, your take on Clayton Kershaw being taken out of a perfect game. Perfect game for Clayton Kershaw in Minnesota after seven innings yesterday. Here's the thing, Randy. I have a, um, let's just describe it as complicated relationship with baseball. Mm-hmm. It's like as soon as I get into a safe zone with them, as soon as I'm feeling really warm and fuzzy and positive about baseball, they go and do something like this to make me angry all over again. All of those angry feelings from the lockout and all the conversations we had about analytics and how they're ruining the game, it all flared up yesterday when Clayton Kershaw, who has gone seven innings, 13 strikeouts, only 80 pitches, he's bust through 21 batters, everything is lining up for him to have a perfect game. He's thrown, again, 80 pitches, less than 100 pitches. And you're, there's only been 23 perfect games in history. And you're going to pull him? You're going to pull him from the game because you don't want him to throw over 100 pitches and you're thinking about the postseason? We're talking history here. Let the man stay in the game. Let the fans watch him try to achieve this. I'm angry. What are we doing here, Dodgers? What are we doing here, Dave? Roberts, by the way. Dave Roberts is the only guy to have pulled two pitchers from perfect games in seven innings. He also did it with Rich Hill a few years ago, and we were all infuriated then. Yes, we were. But Clayton Kershaw said, bigger things, man, bigger things. Sure. I'm sure he's not going to rip his manager after the game, and this is a leader. We know Clayton Kershaw is a rational guy, and he probably understands logically why Dave Roberts did this, and I'm sure there's a part of him that agrees with it. But 
He's already had a no-hitter. Okay. If it was just a no-hitter, pull him. I understand. This is a perfect game, and everything was lined up for him to go ahead and get it. He would have been only the 24th guy to do it, Randy. And over in 220,000 games, he would have been the 24th mm-hmm. to do it. And he's going to get hurt anyway. But here's the thing, <laughs> right? He gets hurt every year. And he, You know what? Sometimes you risk it all, Randy. You oh, risk the, it all for history. Remember when the Mets did that with Johan Santana and he threw about 140 against the Cardinals and was never the same? But that's another story because this guy wasn't going to go 140 pitches. Right. But the Dodgers, that's their MO. That's their method of doing business. And is it stupid? Yes. But Andrew Friedman is one of the preeminent analytics guys, and he doesn't want pitchers throwing a bunch of pitches. And, oh, by the way, Clayton Kershaw did admit that during the lockout, he didn't pick up a ball. He didn't know where he was going to be pitching, so he didn't even pick up a ball. So this was essentially his fourth throwing session, not fourth, but his fourth start, because he had two in spring training, of the season and didn't have any work leading into spring training. I understand all of that, and if... He's showing signs of fatigue or erosion at all in that moment. You're Dave Roberts. You pull him out of there. You don't want to expose him to that, and you want to make sure to protect him. And I know that that's where his head and his heart were anyway, is protecting his pitcher and trying to preserve him for games that, quote, matter more. But I don't care about all of that. Mm-hmm. Throw it out the window. We spoke to Bob Costas last week, and he said that part of the the issue with baseball not being as entertaining is you don't have your star players there for end, the end of games, i.e. pitchers. You mm-hmm. don't have that moment of, of Bob Gibson being on the mound to end a World Series game. And I thought about that a lot. He's right. What if... Tom Brady was pulled in the final two minutes of a Super Bowl and the backup quarterback, because Tom Brady, his arm was tired, was the backup quarterback was the one that was on the field initially when the confetti falls. It doesn't hit the same, right? This is what we need is the imagery of Clayton Kershaw achieving something really, really rare. This is what makes sports great is that we get to see athletes achieve things that we don't really get to see all the time. It's what we love about it. I don't want to hear about the rational thing to do. I don't want to hear about his pitch count, Randy. I want to talk about history. Okay. Two things here, Michelle. Yes. Number one, he did say, blame it on the lockout. Blame it on me not picking up a ball until January. He said, my slider was horrible the last two innings. I didn't have the bite. It didn't have the bite. It was time. The other part of this. So he's on board with this. It sounds like, at least. But here's the other part of this. Before him, who was the last pitcher to throw a perfect game? Who was the last pitcher to achieve history? So you're saying we won't even remember it? Wouldn't even remember it. I don't know. Last five perfect games. Felix Hernandez, Matt Kane, Philip Umber, Roy Halladay, Dallas Braden. I remember Dallas Braden. That was I do too. such a great scene yeah. in baseball. But name, give me those names again. Felix Hernandez, okay. King Felix, Matt yeah, Kane, King Felix, yeah. Phil Umber, Roy Halladay, Dallas Braden. And the one before that was Mark Burley. Now, there there were some, the, the David Cone one at Yankee Stadium was memorable. Mm-hmm. We, of Wells course, remember would, Burley because yeah, St. Louis St. guy. St. Louis guy, yeah. But there have been a lot of, eh, perfect games. But when you're looking back on Clayton Kershaw's career, yes, for somebody, too, who's had a lot of bad things happen in the postseason, yes, that Mm -hmm. was redeemed when they won the World Series. But for somebody who would be remembered 
prior to that for a lot of things going wrong. I want him to be put in the position where we remember the things that go right. We'll remember the no-hitter. We'll remember the World Series. I want to also remember a perfect game. So there was a, a thing that was developed by Bill James called the game score for pitchers. And if I'm not mistaken, Clayton Kershaw's game score in his other no-hitter, he only uh, there was an error. He didn't allow any walks. That was the only blemish on his performance was the the error. If I'm not mistaken, he might have had the second highest game score in the history of baseball when he threw that one. So he, he really isn't going to get better than he's already been. Unless he can throw the best game score ever. I just want him to have the opportunity to try to get it. As a fan of the game, that's what you want. You're, it, you're on Twitter and you well, see that it's true. You're like, oh, what? I need to tune into this. And then you tune in and he's getting yanked after 80 pitches. It's The, the entertainment aspect of baseball is not the same. Here's, here's what's really bad. I, I love your approach, and I kind of I'm, I'm self loathing here because I'm buying into what baseball's doing to us. Oh, Randy, no! Isn't it terrible? Randy, put down the Kool Aid, walk away. Yeah, the, it, it's and it really doesn't protect pitchers, does it? I mean, at the end of the day, how much can you protect Jack Flaherty and he's hurt? Right, right. So they're all going to get hurt anyway. They're all going to get hurt they're anyway. They're all going to get hurt. Yeah, give it. Let him go. Let him try. You're wrong. <sighs> Well, right. guess what? I, I think we already just did the next yeah, segment. I think so. Coming up, sick of it. Um, yeah, we know what we're sick of. Sick of it on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm over it, Sharon. I can't take this no more. I am done. I am sick of it. Do you hear me? Sick of it. I can't take it anymore. These people are the worst. Character and Smallman are sick of it. talking about the lack of logic present in baseball these days. Michelle, I'm sick of the fact that baseball just doesn't start the season on the West Coast and in places with domes and good climates. Why bother in New York and St. Louis and Denver and Chicago in the first couple of weeks of April? Why not just start the games in L.A. and San Diego, Miami, Tampa, uh, where you have a, a roof overhead, Milwaukee, why not just start there so that we can avoid the rainouts that are inevitable at the beginning of seasons? The Cardinals have already had two, and that's going to hurt them down the road. It will, and I understand, but um, Randy, they want butts and seats, and whenever they can. They're not thinking about that. They'll still get them. Eventually, I guess, but you you mean to tell me, though, that you would give up the, the home opener when it was because you'd rather start have the— Have good weather? Yeah. <laughs> Nah, you wouldn't rather me. have mid sixties perfect day today, like Milwaukee's going to have, yeah, than but, what we had last week. But you never really know in the Midwest what you're going to get. The forecast could say today, yesterday but, it was oh tornado warning, and then it wasn't that bad. It was forecasted to rain at some point, and then it clears up. Your odds are better. Yeah, I don't know. You know that you're going to have good weather. I, Milwaukee's going to have good weather today because they've got a roof. I'm not mad on rolling the dice. Okay. So I'm just mad about the double headers that are going to mess up our pitching if we don't allow our pitchers to leave perfect games after 80 pitches. Randy just doesn't like seeing baseball on the same day when he has to scrape off ice from his car. That's kind of weird. I'm, I'm kind of with him on that one. <laughs> it's, it wasn't something I expected today. I'm like, come on, it's it's baseball. I'm out in shorts. I want to be in a t-shirt with a hat on. And, oh, where did I put my ice scraper? <laughs> I'm kind of surprised that any stadium in any sport 
that's outdoors at any point does not have a retractable roof. Why not? Right. You would just think that now that that's a technology that's available, that any team would want to preserve their home games and just throw a retractable roof on the stadium. Yeah, and it used to be that they were like the third of the of the cost of the stadium. If I'm not mistaken, the cost of putting a retractable roof on has decreased significantly. So I'm with you. Well, and they're already spending how much money building a stadium? Yeah, Just billions. put it on your tab. Yeah. Just put it Buff- on the tab. Buffalo's spending the, right now 1.2. I think it'll get higher than that, though. Are, I, I haven't seen. Do they have renderings for their stadium? Are they going to have a retractable no, roof? No, it's outdoors. They're nuts. But in, in Buffalo, Buffalo, in Buffalo, that's probably seen as a sign of disrespect Ooh. to put a retractable yeah. roof on their stadium. The, the, you're exactly right. Bill's Mafia would not have that. No. Because really, what condition are you not going to play a game in if you're in Buffalo? Well, what condition are you in when you go into a game in Buffalo? Correct. <laughs> exactly. Um, but the, Obviously, the NFL is different when it comes to mm. weather conditions. But I, I just don't see any condition in which the team or the fans would say, you know what sounds great? Throw the roof up. No. I like having a roof, though. They want to be in the elements. Yeah. They want to be in the elements. They are weather wusses like me. No, they're nuts. Have you ever been to a game in Buffalo? Yes, I have. And? It's crazy. Yeah, and I went when they were bad, and it's crazy. Yeah, try, to, try to explain to those people that beer doesn't warm you up. It, it's not an argument you're going to win. Well, it's not just beer there either. <laughs> you know what I'm sick of, and I know we've only had it in minimal doses, but I'm sick of the Cardinals and Blues playing at the same time. I don't have the mm-hmm. television set up that you have. I'm talking about at the same time mm-hmm. and, and one night. I don't have the TV set up that you do, so I have one game going on the regular TV, one game going on the computer, and then when something big happens, I'm trying to switch back and forth. You know, oh, Albert's coming up to bat. Let me switch back. Oh, there's a delay as my TV's getting set up to switch it back. You know, the circle's going, oh, did I miss the pitch? I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. I I like that they're both in action. I just don't, it should be a rule that they shouldn't be allowed to play at the same time. The other night when the Nets and Cavs were playing, I had to bring the computer into the equation too. Because (laughs) you had Blues Bruins, you had uh, the Cardinal game on, and then you had the basketball game. So I had to have three screens up. I'm turning my head back and forth all the time. All right, what do we have on the text line, Matthew? I'm sick of the XFL teasing all these big announcements and not telling us if the Battlehawks are coming back or not. I wonder how organized they are. I wonder about this whole situation. With The Rock, you know it's locked down. Yeah, right. I just don't understand why you would announce the coaches before you announce the cities. Shouldn't you have the cities and the fan bases be waiting to find out who their coach is? Maybe you aren't that organized. Or maybe you're waiting to see what works in the USFL. And if something doesn't work there, then you go there. Or I don't know. I, it seems to me like less than a year out, they're they're going to be playing in less than a year. A city should have an idea. The fans should have an idea as to whether or not they're going to have a team or not. And MLS doesn't do it that way. No, they don't. And I can't imagine that they would not have St. Louis in the mix based on the success of the Battlehawks. But who knows? Maybe maybe they are thinking something different. I don't have any inside track on this. Everybody that I know that was involved with the XFL is no longer with them. Right. It's a completely new operation. But The Rock is a very smart businessman. This is he's he's not a businessman. He's a businessman. So is Vince McMahon. As Jay-Z would say. And I can't imagine that he got the financials or any of the numbers on the XFL's last iteration and did not zero in on St. Louis as something that would be a viable product. Spring football, for whatever reason, and we've talked about how we can't make it work, that ain't going to work. That's not lasting more than a year. 314, I'm (laughs) sick of all the existing potholes and the new ones, but it's also job security for me. Watch out for them. There you go. Uh, Former... 
Fastlane producer Chris Gardner yes, running so for Senate Randy. in the United States of America. And he's got a plan, pot for potholes. So federally legalize marijuana and use that money generated from taxes for marijuana to fix potholes around the country. As a and proud... Especially, especially in Missouri. As a proud um, Illinois girl, let mm-hmm. me tell you, weed generates a lot of money. Oh, big time. Big time. Colorado. Yes. Yeah, they did. So, you know what? I kind of like that notion. Pot for potholes. Take that money, fix the pot. And you know what, Randy? Now that we're here, in my entire life, I cannot remember a time when I've been on 6440. I call it 64 because I'm from the L side. You guys call it 40 (laughs) over here. I cannot remember a time in my life when I've been on that highway and it hasn't been under construction. It's my life, too. It's been that way forever. It is constantly under construction. Mm-hmm. Why are there still potholes on the highway? It's crazy. How are there still potholes? You're you're out there every day doing construction. Why is it not the most pristine and beautiful highway in the United States of America? What are you guys doing? What are you doing out there? Vote for Chris Gardner. His slogan is, he's not what Missouri needs. He's what Missouri deserves. Remember when is they- he satire, by the way? Kind of half. He's, is he actually running? He's, yeah, he signed up. He's, he's, officially, yeah, he's officially like okay. in the, in the running. Out. It's satire is a. I don't know if that's the word for it anymore at this point. Um, <laughs> Follow him at Gardner for Missouri they, on the Twitter machine. They shut down the highway across two years and didn't make it better. I think that's the most indicative thing about 40. It didn't get any better. Uh, I am sick of where to go. I had it in front of me here. On a second. Here we go. I'm sick of the rest of the country thinking St. Louis isn't a good NFL or NBA town. We're talking Battlehawks. Randy's talking Cleveland Cavaliers. I agree with him. Cleveland Cavaliers. Okay. Randy, Randy was breaking down the. He was talking about he was watching the Cavaliers game on his third screen. Oh. And well. Cleveland, I, if they had Jared Allen, J A R R E T T, I would feel much better about their chances. Kevin Love has kind of fallen off in the second half of the season. Laurie Markkinen, because of Love's fall off, has fallen off. They, they have a really nice team, and they've kind of changed what the NBA was trying to become because they have three starting seven-footers that are all athletic. But without Allen, they just aren't the same. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Greg Emsinger of MLB Network on 101 ESPN's Character and Smallman. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy, let's go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Greg Amzinger, MLB Network, is standing by. He is working hard now that the season has started. Good morning, Greg. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I was just thinking, could you imagine if you were on a word count, Randy? Let's say you're really, really rolling, like you're having the best show you've had. It's like a historically good show. And Matthew, your producer, has to tap you on the shoulder and go, you've exceeded your word count, Randy. Uh, You're not going to be able to finish the show. And you're like, whoa, no, 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 no. We've got Reggie Jackson coming up. I really want to interview Reggie Jackson. I know, but but Randy, you're you're way past your word count. I'm going to do this for you. And you're like, you know what? That is an individual goal of mine to interview Reggie Jackson. But for the team, I understand. You want me healthy for the stretch run, and I'm going to bail. I am. Take the microphone. You do Reggie. I'm out. What in the hell are we doing? This is crazy. It's crazy. Greg, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm, I lost my mind over this this morning. I'm thinking, that for especially for a sport, Greg, that is so 
into history. You have history there that he can go out and be the 24th person to ever achieve this, and you're going to pull him. At at this stage of Clayton Kershaw's career, can we take the kid gloves off? I mean, honestly, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's the best pitcher of this generation. Can we let this guy make his own call? I get it when you've got a young, say, Dakota Hudson's rolling, seven perfect innings, and you're like, ah, he just got healthy, he's important to the team, fairly young guy, maybe his tail's wagging too much. He won't know how to navigate these waters. But if it's Clayton Kershaw, and he's only got a no-hitter on his resume, and he's got the best resume of any pitcher in this generation, for crying out loud, be quiet and let him make the call. Let him do that. He knows better than anybody if he can continue to go. 80 pitches, it's cold, he's throwing the perfect game. It was going to happen. And to not let this guy, who's had so many great moments, finish this thing off, he hasn't exceeded 200 innings since 2015. We, we continuously act like he's about to fall apart. I don't know why. Because he is. Yeah, come on. <laughs> he gets hurt every year. No, he, he deals with some back issues. Every pitcher has moments where they're hurt every year, other than Max Scherzer. Every pitcher does. Why in the world? Every broadcaster deals with laryngitis. Mm-hmm. So for crying out loud, do we have to pull Greg Amsinger from his show <laughs> or Randy Carricker from his show? It's ridiculous, man. It is out, <laughs> out of this world weird. I feel like aliens do. I, I believe aliens exist. And I think they look down on our planet and they laugh at some of the things we do. And this is one of those things they laugh at. They're like, what in the hell is wrong with these people? Greg, Jesse Rogers has a great piece up at ESPN.com. We're going to talk to him later. And one of the points that's made by Dave Dombrowski is at some point, every team, every franchise will have to press the reset button and, and go backwards. The Cardinals clearly have not had a losing season under John Mozeliak. They make the playoffs way more times than they don't. Every other team in the National League has finished last in the league since 1990, except for the Cardinals. Last time they finished last was 1918. So do you look at this franchise and think, yeah, at some point they're going to have to tank? I, I do not look at it that way. I think they're the exception to many rules, and I will point this out. It is a testament to a loyal fan base. When you have a, a machine that pumps out a product that people consume and they do it all the time, there is a level of expectation from your clients, okay? Uh, imagine you, oh, you run a cookie shop and there's a line out the door every single morning for your freshly made cookies. But just because everyone else starts putting a bunch of crap in their cookies and they taste terrible once every seven years, why would you do that? Why would you do that? No one else has a line wrapped around the block for your cookies, but you do. So you understand that your customers have a level of expectation. I think fan bases impact a lot of this. And when they're hot and cold in terms of their loyalty to coming to a ballpark, you know, spending money on merchandise, then yes, you'll see this up and down uh, performance level from certain teams and organizations because they think if, if you build a winner, they will come. The Cardinals have built a product, a culture, not exactly a winner. Winning came with the culture. 
That's why St. Louis is the best baseball town in America. It is the number one thing people want to do. They, the number one thing they want to consume are the Cardinals cookies. That's what they love eating more than anything else. So they are balancing free agent money, uh, drafting and developing the minor leagues better than any organization ever. It's not a lopsided competitive product. They understand you need veteran leaders, but you also need that young wave to have true depth to win a pennant. No other organization does this this way, but I believe it's a testament to a loyal fan base and their expectation year in, year out. Greg, you know me. I try not to have hot takes. I try not to overreact. But I'm ready to write down Vlad Guerrero Jr. in Sharpie for AL MVP. I mean, three home runs last night, two off Garrett Cole. His fingers bleeding, no big deal. This guy is just a monster. He's great. And I think we need to tinker with the warts since Clayton Kershaw was talking about individual achievements <laughs> last night. I think we need most outstanding offensive player. You know, just we get the Davey O'Brien Award for the best quarterback in college football. And the Heisman shouldn't just always go to the best quarterback. It's just that's not the, the premise of the idea of the award. I think we need the best offensive player, just like we have the, the Cy Young, no position player can win a Cy Young, although D. Strange Gordon did attempt uh, to win a Cy Young by throwing 59 <laughs> miles an hour the other day. Uh, but, you know, I, 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 he's the best hitter. I, I think he's the best hitter. If Shohei Otani gives us 70% of what he did last year, just 70, you cannot not give him the most valuable player award. When you're the ace of one of the 30 teams in Major League Baseball and you're the second best hitter of one of the 30 teams in Major League Baseball, you are more valuable than anyone else. So I, I, it's a debate that goes back and forth. The Blue Jays have a lot of guys that rake, uh, not at the level of Vladdy. I get it. But until he starts throwing a 89-mile-an-hour you know, change piece with a split and 101, I, so Tony's a war to lose. Greg Amzinger with us on 101 ESPN. Okay, we're a week into the season. The most striking or fun thing that you've seen so far, whether it be a team or an individual, what's been the the thing that you have noted most here in the first week of the season? Uh, there's a guy that plays for the Tampa Bay Rays that's just good for the game, Brett Phillips. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoy him. He's got this uh, merchandise. Baseball is fun, and he wears these T-shirts, and People would say, ah, he's like Brandon Nemo. He's like all these really nice guys. Who cares? He had a moment uh, before the game where he got a chance to hang out with a little girl named Chloe. Uh, It's her second time battling cancer. And, I mean, she's like eight or nine years old. And he is her favorite player. And she gave him a friendship bracelet he wore in the game. And while she was being interviewed by Trisha Whitaker of their regional sports broadcast, he had a home run. And then afterwards gave an interview, and was crying about it, crying about the impact this little girl had on him. People say all the time that, you know, certain players are just cheesy. They're so nice. We need to stop being critical of the people that are good for the game. We, we need to. This is everything you want. You want players to be true role models, and that is what Brett Phillips is. And the other thing I'll say is this. This stood out to me. Um, you know, I rip on the Philadelphia Phillies fan base because I, it's so abrasive the way they treat their players in comparison to what I grew up watching in St. Louis, mm-hmm. where you know fans just absolutely adore their players and, and, and even cheer them on when they struggle. 
when Alec Bohm, the own third baseman of the Phillies, committed his third error in three innings of one game, and they were booing him relentlessly. He got caught on camera saying, I, I can't stand this place. The D.D. Gregorius, you could read his lips. I thought for sure he'd get booed every single day for the rest of the year. Instead, after he owned up to it, he said, yeah, I did say that. I obviously didn't mean that, but I said it, and I'm sorry I said it. When I saw Philadelphia fans stand up and act like Cardinal fans and give him a standing ovation when he pinch hit with two outs in the eighth inning, I thought, you know what? The, the, the odd norms of baseball might be going away. And then I woke up the next day and saw Clayton Kershaw get pulled after 80 pitches <laughs> with a perfect game. I was like, yeah, you know what? I got ahead of myself. I got ahead of myself. Greg, if Max Scherzer has a perfect game through seven and Buck Showalter tries to take him out, what's he do? <laughs> I, I, well, he, he doesn't answer his phone for the next week because I'm going to berate him with voicemails uh, because I, I would be so upset. I, I don't see Buck doing that. I think he's going to let Max go because Max is going to tell him to get the hell off the mound. Max Scherzer wants that moment, man. And there are certain guys you got to let have that moment. You ask them if they want to keep going. They earn the right to have it. So, I, Randy, I'm going to guess you sided with Dave Roberts. I don't want to argue no, this you're early right. in the morning. Because, no, you're right, but it's not, it's not that I agree. It's just that I accept what baseball has become. And I'm not saying baseball has become a bad product. What I'm saying is... You better not. <laughs> yeah, bad for business, right? No, I, I did a segment the other day. I, might, I, know I'm, I know I'm long. I know I'm long. I did a segment talking about how pitching has changed. All these guys are getting hit in the head with fastballs. And, and Harold Reynolds keeps going, we, if they, they hit guys, they've got to be out of the big leagues. You've got to have fastball command. And the game has changed where fastball command is like the fourth thing pitchers need to have in the minor leagues to prove they're ready for the big leagues. So... Baseball has changed. Just because I'm pointing it out doesn't mean I think it's a bad version. I think there are exceptions to all rules in every sport. And Clayton Kershaw last night was the exception to this invisible rule that even though at the end of the year on baseball reference, you do not see how many pitches he threw each year. You just see innings, right? Mm -hmm. For some weird reason, we're caught up on pitches every single night he performs. So I think he was the exception to the rule. To not see that, to not respect that, made me scratch my head. And I try not to because I don't want to keep all my hair. <laughs> yeah, you need to preserve the not hair, too. Greg. That's for sure. Uh, Greg, I loved Greg's list on the greatest moments of Albert Pujols' career. Where would his first home run back wearing a Cardinals uniform land on the list? I think he cracks the list. I, I don't know which one I would I would bounce, but man, was that awesome. And, and you know, what's overlooked is, you know, he had two other hits. He went three for four. He said in the middle of the order, he's not done. And I know people raise an eyebrow when they're like, he's not hitting 21 home runs this year. Come on, Greg, stop. No, he's not. He's going to hit 25. <laughs> he's hitting 25 home runs this year. It will not go down to the wire. It's not going to go down to the last regular season game for him to reach his 700th home run. The machine is getting it done. And I'm telling you, the fan base is going to help him get there. And, and this humanity of what he brings with Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright, the end of the road for these three Cardinal legends, that's helping this team. The other players on this team can feel this energy. It's making them play at a higher level, and I can't wait to see what they do in this series they have with the Brewers that starts today. All these people on the Brewer bandwagon, 
I'm sorry. The Cardinals have the magic pixie dust. They do. I believe the Cardinals are the best in the Central, and they're going to start flexing that muscle this week. You're the best. We'll be watching MLB tonight. Thanks so much for the time. We always appreciate it, and we will talk to you soon. All right, and we'll get some of those Cardinal cookies. <laughs> Good, thinking. Play the good thinking. <laughs> See you, Greg. <laughs> See you, guys. Take Have care. a good day. Greg Amzinger, MLB Network on 101 ESPN. Coming up, yes? But don't you think that if the other bakeries consistently put out better cookies, they too would have lines down the block? There's a finite amount of customers, right? But if, it, Not if, everybody's if the cookie cookies. shops are in different neighborhoods, though. Oh, yeah. They're in different neighborhoods. So, yeah. If they were cranking would, out good cookies like the so. Cardinals, people would be in line. If they're in different neighborhoods. Yeah, well, they're in different neighborhoods. You, you would think so. But one of the different things, boroughs, you, have you, to, you have to build up that tradition of having a great cookie, though, so that everybody knows about it. Right. But if you consistently are putting out delicious cookies, people will come. Yeah. You they, just they're not coming because of your product, because of what you've done. Not because you have put out great cookies and all of a sudden one day they decide they want to get ice cream. That's exactly it's because right. your cookies suck. That's why they don't come. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, take it or leave it on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Leave it on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle, take it or leave it. If Adam Wainwright has a perfect game after seven today, Ali Marmol will take him out. I'm going to leave that. Leave it wholeheartedly. Actually, Adam tells them to abuse the old guy. I was going to say, he might tell him Adam Wainwright is not relenting. He's yeah. going for it. He, he'll he want to go for it, and he won't want to be taken out of the game. And when the Cardinals absolutely need him... When their bullpen is worn out, he goes to the manager, texts the manager, and says, hey, doesn't matter. My career is going to end. If you blow me out, it's going to happen at some point anyway. Exactly. And I don't mean that he would disrespect his manager because we know that that's not winning. He's doing it all for the team. Correct. It's not for his individual accolades, but if he's rolling, he's thinking, why not keep me in here? I'll take the... the, What's the word I'm looking for here? Not not abuse, but you know, I'll I'll Mm -hmm. handle the load, and I'll preserve the bullpen and go for it because I'm locked in. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is another thing, too. I, you know, I don't know how many times this is going to happen, whether it's Kershaw, Blake Snell. How many times is it going to happen where a pitcher is absolutely locked in and rolling and we're more focused on the numbers? And, and, and I mean, well, the World Series was such an egregious example because there's nothing else after that. Yep. <laughs> there's nothing else after that. It's the It's the end of the season. You go for it. But I just get so frustrated, Randy, that... We, we are constantly looking at the numbers and trying to forecast what the best thing is instead of living in the moment and actually looking at this through a rational lens of what's happening in the moment. M- Michelle, here's what needs to happen. At the moment, as we speak, and it's early in the season, the New York Mets are in first place in their division. The Atlanta Braves are the world champions. And for the second year in a row, the Chicago White Sox are leading their division. It's going to take people like Brian Snitker and uh, Dusty Baker and Buck Showalter and Tony La Russa 
to keep winning for people to actually get their minds back and say, oh, yeah, you know what? The way you've won is the way you win. Let's put the analytics cool day down, take a step back, detox a little. Let's take a look at our last two full season world champions, shall we? Davey Martinez, the non-analytics Nats, and Brian Snicker, the non-analytically driven manager of the Braves. There you go. Randy, um, I was reading this article in the New York Post about a young lady named Taylor Humphrey. Mm-hmm. And her job... T-Hum. No, Randy. Oh, okay. T-Hum. I just came up with it off the top of my head. You've gone too far. Okay, sorry. T-Hum? T-Hum? Taylor? That's even worse. Yeah, her her her, na- her government name is Taylor. Okay, Tayhum. <laughs> Tayhum is not as bad. Tayhum sounds like something you buy at Walgreens when you're not feeling great. <laughs> True, good point. Oh Jazz my reflux god, has been killing my... me. You can pick me up some Tayhums. <laughs> so she's a genius, Ta- good, our girl Taylor, yeah. because her job is a professional baby namer. She makes more than 150K a year to name babies for couples. They pay her up to 10 grand a baby for her to come up with the perfect moniker no for their way. for their unborn child. Yes, Randy. Anywhere from 1,500 to 10 grand, depending on the amount of names she has to come up with. For instance, okay, listen to this. She decided to help, uh, let me find this, let me make sure I get this exactly right, okay? So they had a couple who named their baby Isla, Isla, okay? And they were considering changing the baby's name because people were mispronouncing it. So this was right after the baby was born. They they call up our girl Taylor and they pay her a hefty fee. And she tells them, no, stick with the name. And she gets to keep the money. She just says, no, stick with the name. Um, a couple met at a... They had their first kiss in a town called Parker. So Taylor gets paid a huge fee to tell them to name their baby Parks because they had their first kiss in a place called Parker. Take it or leave it. You wish you would have come up with this first. I'll take that. 150K a year to tell someone, no, you already picked a good name. It's good. You had your first kiss in a place called Parker. Name your baby Parks. By the way, why not name it Parker? Parker. (laughs) Yeah, right. That would have been better, right? $150,000 a year to name babies for people. That's amazing. I I love this job. I love this job, too. One time Jack Buck had a great line. There was a starting pitcher for the Astros named Mark Lemongello. And Jack was on the air talking about his brother, Lyman. (laughs) Good. Lyman Lemongello. Get it? Boom, boom. I'm irrationally angry that they named him Parks and not I know. Parker. That's ridiculous. Really bad. That really ridiculous. Like, that's going to eat okay. at me tonight when I'm eating dinner. Okay, so we want a great name, 65780. I'm sure she asked the couple for their backstory, and she really just probably asked them the most basic questions about themselves, listens for, let's say, 30 minutes, mm-hmm. and then probably suggests something like Wyatt, like a normal name, and then gets paid 10 grand. That's such a, that's a, she's doing better than Caroline Lecker's doing. Absolutely. So here's her top picks for names. Grady, Wilson, Waylon, and Fletcher. That's pretty easy. Making a folk band or what? But these are all common names. I mean, maybe not Fletcher. That's more of a dog name. But I'm not mad at a Fletch. No. I've tanked and succeeded. The Cubs went out and bought a pitching staff for a bunch of money. They had a highly paid team when they won the World Series. The Astros... 
went out and signed a bunch of free agents. The people that they had drafted or developed were Bregman and Altuve. They spent a bunch of money on uh, a Cuban player. They go out and get Verlander and and Cole. And it, it seems to me like the teams that tank, when they wind up winning, the percentage of players that are actually developed because of tanking is low. And if you develop those players, a lot of those teams can't afford to keep them or Mm -hmm. choose not to invest financially and keep those players. They end up going to bigger markets anyway. But I just I find it confusing that tanking is such an issue in baseball. Yet when they're having these CBA negotiations, a hard salary floor and cap are summarily rejected by both sides. If you're really that concerned about the competitiveness in your product, then why are you not exploring what seems to be the easiest solution to curtail it? If you have to spend money, why spend it on low quality, right? If you have to spend $100 million, you might as well go out and try to be as efficient in spending that $100 million as you can and try to win. And one, one aspect to winning, and the Cardinals know this well, and it's one thing that the Marlins never did after they won in 97 or 03. You make the money the year after you go to the World Series. Right, it's not right. the year you go. And by the way, the Royals tried that and it didn't really work because they just couldn't, for whatever reason, keep things together. But the reason that the Cardinals succeed, we talked about it earlier, is the tradition of winning. It's the fact that they don't just have a year where they win and then disassemble things or go downhill for five years. It's the consistent ability to field a team that has a chance to win a World Series. Greg Amziar, our buddy from MLB Network, I thought had a great example about a bakery. If you're churning out delicious cookies year after year, people are going to come to eat them. There's going to mm-hmm. be a lot around the block if the product is not that good people are not going to show up but if the if you consistently put together a good product especially in places like Cincinnati Pittsburgh places that are great sports towns if you consistently put together a competitive product people would show up people are not showing up as a result of your actions and so it it needs to I don't know. With with a lot of stuff in baseball, Randy, I don't think they look at it through a, a rational lens. It's right. all through what's going to make us the most money, which I get that it's a business. But if you're actually going to try to stop this, and if you're the players too, and you see the ripple effects that tanking has on free agency when teams are all of a sudden getting rid of their players and a lot of landing spots that would have been available for certain players who are in free agency all of a sudden aren't there anymore because of all of the moves that are being made with with teams shedding themselves of payroll and of good players it's going to affect you it's going to affect your fraternity of guys so i just don't understand why they don't take more of a rational look at this and talk about the vitality of the product at all as a whole and not about money specifically and when you look at the rays when you look at the cardinals you don't have to spend 200 million dollars to have a great franchise and it's really intriguing to me that every person that's come out of the Rays front office has, on some level, succeeded, whether it's Andrew Friedman going mm-hmm. to the Dodgers or whether it's Heim Bloom or, or, or whether it's the Eric Neander staying in Tampa. The Tampa tree continues to succeed even though they don't spend a bunch of money. So why wouldn't a team like the Pirates, if they know, okay, we're going to spend X amount of dollars, why wouldn't they go at least try to be smart with the money that they are spending? I don't know. That's a great question. I always think, too, Randy, I wish that relegation was a thing in American sports. Mm-hmm. It's one of the great things about European soccer. Because you, with the threat of that looming, the embarrassment of getting relegated, of you, of you 
admitting we're so bad, well, not admitting, but being forced to face consequences for being a bad team or for not trying, it really forces a lot of teams to get it into gear. And I just can't imagine what that would be like if the Pirates had to be relegated to the minor leagues. I think that they might put in a little more effort. Yeah, I think you have to start to that way because one thing about Premier League is that everybody's in the same market, right? So it doesn't matter what TV ratings you're going to get because you're all in London. But here, if the Pirates decide, or if the Pirates are relegated, and you have to have Memphis, Memphis isn't a horrible market, but it's just different than Pittsburgh. It, it wouldn't seem like, from a financial standpoint, it, it would be as viable because you just yes, don't have the the same market size like you do with all the Premier League teams. I just think there should be more severe consequences for teams that are tanking. Agreed. Because I don't know if what's happened with the new things that were proposed with the CBA, well, that went into motion with the CBA, with the draft, et cetera. I just don't know if those guardrails are going to be enough for teams to be deterred from tanking. If you finish in the bottom six in the league for three consecutive years, if the bottom six in baseball, worst record in baseball for three consecutive years, then you don't get revenue sharing for three consecutive years. That'd be a deterrent. Hit him in the pocketbook. That's where the, the, it'll hurt the most. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's fresh take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk some Blues Sabres with John Kelly, your voice of the Blues on Bally Sports next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Blues booth. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors has great floors for every home with locations in West County, South County, St. Charles County, and our new location in Mid-County. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, where John Kelly is standing by, Blues and Sabres tonight. John, of course, the voice of the Blues on Bally Sports. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Hey, Randy. How are you? Good. JK, I, I just pointed out to Matthew and Michelle here that Craig Anderson, who's been the primary goalie for the Sabres this year, 40-year-old Craig Anderson, back in 2006, was picked up by the Blues on waivers on January 31st, was here for two days, and then the Blues waived him and he went to the Blackhawks. So Craig Anderson, kind of technically a former Blue. You know what, Randy? I forgot about that. Two I'm days. Glad you brought, I'm glad you brought that up. Yes. <laughs> So a very short-lived career as a St. Louis Blue, right? Yeah, no doubt. John, we were talking the other day about Justin Falk and how great he's been for the Blues this season, and it got us talking about the fact that you'd throw his name in the conversation for Blues MVP this season. If you were to look back to the Blues season uh, from start to this point, who do you think has been the Blues MVP? Well, he certainly would be in the top three, without question. Um, you know, plus minus leader on the team and, and just having a great year, double digits and goals. I don't need to go on with the numbers. Uh, but more than that, he just plays the right way every night as a defenseman, you know, with, with good gap control. He's aggressive. He's a physical guy. So he has been, um, he's been great. And, you know, Pareko, um, I think sort of was a little bit inconsistent in the last or in the first two months of the season. But lately, Pareko has been a beast. So right now the Blues are really in great shape uh, on the right side of the defense. So to answer your question, I would have to say the three players that I would pick as my MVPs would certainly be Falk, Robert Thomas, 
and the goaltender, Billy Huso. I think those three would be certainly in the conversation. And, you know, Tarasenko's had a great year as well. So, you know, he would have to be as well now that I think of it. And, J.K., he has kind of reestablished himself as one of the premier guys in the league. Vladdy has, hasn't he? Well, I think that he, he's reestablished himself as, as a top winger. You know, you know, one of the top guys, Randy, that's a big statement. I mean, there are guys now over 50 goals, right? That's true, so, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, he, he's, he's become, I think, a better two-way player this year. And, you know, he, he's always been a great goal scorer. We know that. Always been a great playmaker. And the combination right now of him and Buchnevich and Robert Thomas, uh, right now there aren't many better lines in hockey as far as putting up production. I mean, those three have some great chemistry. And, and the passing that they displayed on Tarasenko's second goal the other night was amazing. So, you know, Vladi has become a, a really good all-around player again after battling all those surgeries, and it's great to see, no question. John, if you look back on this team a month ago, if we're going back to Sunday, March 13th versus Winnipeg, they lost 4-3 to three in overtime. They lost 5-6 of six during that uh, immediate stretch. You look at the team now, six in a row. What's the big difference you see now from this Blues team to a Blues team we saw a month ago? Well, you know, Michelle, they're just playing the right way, and they have a full commitment from from everybody. And, you know, not to make excuses, but I've always felt that, you know, the period from, say, the All-Star game until the trade deadline are almost like the dog days of August in baseball. And, you know, the Blues just weren't engaged for a while there. You mentioned um, those losses, and then I think that maybe the low point was the 7-2 loss at home to Carolina two and a half weeks ago. And that, that was not a good game. And Carolina is a great team. And they came into St. Louis and, quite honestly, embarrassed the Blues. And the Blues haven't lost a game since. So I, I think that was maybe a wake-up call for this team. And now that we're in the home stretch with nine games to go, I mean, the, the team is fully committed. So it's nothing, you know, it's not like they just flipped a switch. Um, it, it took a team commitment, individual commitment, and, and they realize that now it, it's go time and you've got to be playing well going into the playoffs, even though, you know, the Blues are almost secured of a spot. I think their magic number is six to get in. You've got to play the right way down the stretch. And right now they are playing the right way. That's great to see. And John, this is nothing new, but it continues to amaze me how important fast starts are in hockey. And the Blues have scored the first goal in six games in a row. This year, 26-8-5 and five when scoring first. And when leading after a period, they're 19-1-3. and three. So that's what you want to do. Get the lead. And then the Blues, heck, since Ken Hitchcock got here, have been a team, haven't they? Where if they score first, they, they build on it, and then they try to smother the opposition. Yeah, like most teams, Randy, it's obviously a big advantage, but conversely, the Blues have been one of the better come-from-behind teams this year. I think they have now 20 or 21 come-from-behind victories this season. So, um, yeah, they can do it either way. But I, I don't put a whole lot of emphasis on the first goal. As, as Craig Berube always says, you know, if the other team scores the first goal, you can't fold your tent, right? It's not the end of the world. So you're going to face adversity, and um, – Obviously, sometimes you give up the first goal. So I, I don't put a lot of, you know, there, there are a lot of numbers, Randy, especially now with analytics. Um, there are hundreds of, of numbers individually and team-wise that you can look at. But, you know, first goal of the game, 
obviously, if you score it, you're going to win most of the time. Um, but it's not the be-all, end-all as far as I'm concerned. The performance of David Perron and Ryan O'Reilly, especially at this time of year, has really been heartening to me. If those guys are playing the way, especially Perron, the way they have for the last couple of weeks, come playoff time, that'll be a huge advantage, won't it? Because you're going to need somebody to shut down an opposition's top line, and those guys are, are more capable than most. Well, yeah, it, it's it's obviously maybe the key line for the Blues. Um, you know, the other lines obviously have, have played really well, especially the Robert Thomas line. And, you know, Robert is on just a great heater right now as far as points. But I think if you look at the Blues, you know, going into any playoff series, if you put O'Reilly's line with Perron and Saad against the other team's best line and say they go even on a night against that line, you've got a really good chance to win the hockey game because then the Blues' depth can take over, Randy, as you know. So, And they're going to score goals. I mean, you know, David Perron, is, with his goal the other night, has now scored 15 goals in his last 21 games. So, you know, they're also obviously capable of providing a lot of offense. So it's a really good, you know, mix the Blues have right now. Um, you know, they have that checking line with O'Reilly, and uh, again, they can produce offense, but uh, – this team is now really three lines deep. And I think one of the things they'd like to get settled on down the stretch is their fourth line. Bozak, it doesn't look like will play tonight, but he's close to returning. So I think that's one of the things they'd like to see down the stretch, Randy, is to, to get maybe a set fourth line and you know get some momentum from that fourth line into the Stanley Cup playoffs. J.K., one more thing. We talk a lot here, obviously, as we should, about Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. But Tage Thompson has really emerged, hasn't he, for the Sabres? He really has. He uh, scored a goal against the Blues back in late February in that 5-3 Blues win. He's got a great shot, Randy. And, you know, he's also, as we know, a huge guy. I think he's 6'6". Um, and and he, he was the big part going to Buffalo in the O'Reilly trade, as we know. And it took him a while to develop. He was up and down in the minors and the, and the big club for a couple of years. But, you know, he's a good player and a first-round pick. And, you know, great size, obviously, great skill. Uh, but the thing that stands out to me is a shot. If you give him an open opportunity like he did in St. Louis, I think it was a power play goal, he will most likely beat the goaltender. So that's going to be number one against Thompson tonight is to take away his time and space in the offensive zone. But he's a very good player. John Kelly, always good to talk to you. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it, and enjoy your day in Buffalo. Okay. Randy, Michelle, thank you. See you later. That is the voice of the Blues on Bally Sports, John Kelly. By the way, Thompson leads Buffalo, 33 goals, 26 assists. Also has 59 points to lead their team. And John talked about his size, 6'7 and 219. So wait till he gets to be about 6'7 and 240. What a yes. monster. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. So he's Don't want to mess turned with into that. a good player. The Blues draft well. And that's the same thing's going to happen with Dominic Bach, who went to Carolina in the Falk trade. He'll emerge and wind up being a good player, too. But you got to get veteran players when you're a team that expects to win every year. And that's why the Blues can make moves like that, because they draft well and they have prospects that are desirable for other teams. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Red. 
834 in St. Louis. The time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It's that time of the show. It's time to fight. Megamind, Randy Carriker, is out in the hallway. He's probably eating garlic-flavored almonds and drinking a Propel, getting ready to take on Josh, who's joining us here on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Josh. How are you? Good morning, Michelle, Matt, Randy. How are you guys doing? We're doing wonderful things. How's your Thursday so far? Going pretty good. It's a beautiful day to slam some brews later and grill up some buffalo, I think. Oh, my goodness. Slam some brews. What kind of brews are you slamming? Oh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I was mainly just trying to do a pun for the brewers. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love, oh, I get what you're saying. Slam the brewers. Okay. I thought you meant like you're and going to drink some, some beer. And cook up some buffalo. Got it. I love yeah. it. I get what you're saying. See, that one went it right over my head. I'm thoroughly. Yeah. No, I love it. See, I was going to be like, what kind of beer do you like, Josh? <laughs> Let's talk beer. But I get what you're saying, and I like your approach better. All right. Well, are you ready to take on Randy in the fight? Uh, yes, ma'am. All right. Question number one for you. Good luck. There are two sets of father-son duos to have a three-home run game in their careers. The Griffies and what other duo? Is it Vlad Guerrero and Vlad Guerrero Jr., Barry and Bobby Bonds, or Cecil and Prince Fielder? Well, I know Vlad Jr. did it last night. Let's go with them. There are seven franchises to never be involved, that's win or lose, in a perfect game in their history. Three of them currently reside in the NL Central. The Cardinals, yeah, wow, the Cardinals (laughs) and Brewers are two. Which other NL Central team has never been involved in a perfect game? Is it the Cubs, the Reds, or the Pirates? Uh, I hate to dog on the Pirates because they get dogged on all the time, but let's go with them. Question number three, Josh. On this day in 1969, the first ever Major League Baseball game was played outside the United States between the Montreal Expos and the St. Louis Cardinals. Who started that game for the Cardinals? Was it Bob Gibson, Nelson Bryles, or Steve Carlton? Uh, This is a shot in the dark. Let's go uh, with Carlton. And we're going to talk to Jesse Rogers about tanking in the MLB later in the show. When was the last time the Cardinals finished last in their division? Is it 1988, 1990, or 1995? Wow, I hate to pick my birthday year, but let's go 1990. Okay, let's check our score. Yep, confirmed. Waving in Randy, who's peering into the studio. He was locked in here. We're animals at the zoo. That's exactly. He's got the breakfast of champions there. Diet Coke and garlic almonds. Let's go. Or Diet Dr. Pepper, excuse me. He's got a DDP. Josh, you're in trouble. You are uh, in trouble. Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe I needed it. I don't we'll know. See. When Randy's got a Diet Dr. Pepper working, you know he's locked in. Oh, also, up? if he's yep, got a Mountain okay. Dew, watch out. Well, that means yeah. I'm not feeling oh. well. But usually if you're not feeling well, you're... I'm on the comeback trail if I've got right. a Mountain Dew in my hand. You're blazing through. Say good morning to Josh. Josh, good morning. You ever tried Sudafed of Mountain Dew? <laughs> <laughs> no, Randy. I think I would stay home that day if I was that bad. You don't need to. If you have Sudafed of Mountain Dew, doesn't matter what your illness, what ails you. Uh, Sudafed and Mountain Dew will cure everything. I don't know why doctors uh, don't prescribe this more. Broken bones, Randy? <laughs> no problems. <laughs> you, just, you take a Sudafed and Mountain Dew, you're into work the next day. Hmm, interesting. Maybe that day if you so desire. At least out on the golf course, you have a broken hand. You can go play golf if you had Sudafed and Mountain Dew. 
So when we intro Josh, he said we were going to pound some brew and grill some buffalo today. And I was I like, like what kind of beer are we drinking? And he's like, no, because we're playing the brewers, you know. Oh. That just tells you where my mind's at today. Mm-hmm. You know, it's warm outside. <laughs> I thought everybody's being out on a patio to watch the game, get excited. I you like know? that idea. I just assumed that it's in St. Louis, Missouri. We're talking beer. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird that the brewers are named the brewers when we're the beer capital of America. That is kind of weird. I know, Miller, or whatever. better brewers. Miller Coors, yeah. Bush Stadium, come on. All right, Randy, you ready to go? Ready. All right, question number one. There are two sets of father-son duos to have a three-home run game in their career. The Griffies and what other duo? If I had to guess, I would say that it would be Cecil and Prince Fielder. There are seven franchises to never be involved, win or lose, in a perfect game in their history. Three of them currently reside in the NL Central. The Cardinals and Brewers are two. Which other NL Central team has never been involved in a perfect game? Hmm. Okay. Um, This is a good one. Uh, Well, let's see. Cardinals and Brewers are two, so you've got the Cubs, the Reds, and the Pirates. Um, I'm going to guess that the Cubs have been involved in one in their long history. Actually, all three of those teams have really long histories, don't they? Um, I clearly don't need a lifeline here. Um, (laughs) Yeah, don't burn it. I'm going to go... Well, Tom Browning has thrown one for the Reds, so that's one of them. So now we're down to the Pirates and the Cubs. And I'm going to say that... I'm trying to think of if the Pirates have had one. No. I don't think they have. So it's the Pirates and the Cubs. I'm I'm going to go with... Um, I'm going to say the Pirates are the team that has not been involved with a, no, a, a perfect game. Okay. Randy, on this day in 1969, the first ever Major League Baseball game was played outside the United States between the Montreal Expos and the St. Louis Cardinals. Who started that game for the Cardinals? On this date in 1969, who was the Cardinals starter on April 14th? Well, this is a coin flip here. And I'm guessing the Cardinals probably started at home and Gibson probably started. Maybe it's not as obvious as we might guess. I'll do the lifeline. Bob Gibson, Nelson Bryles, Steve Carlton. My first thought was Steve Carlton, so I'll go with him. We're going to talk to Jesse Rogers about tanking in Major League Baseball later on in the show. When was the last time the Cardinals finished last in their division? That would have been the 90... uh, Was it 95 or was it 90? I think it was 90... When they... (laughs) Fired. Wait, I think they might have. Fit. I'll do 95. That was a horrific year. Final answer? Yeah, no, I'll do 90 then. Okay, what's your final answer? 90. You asked me to change it, so I No, will. no, I'm not asking you to change it. You were just oh. going back and forth, so I just wanted to clarify. Oh, I'm not I thought asking you were you trying to, to confuse it. me. I'm not trying to confuse you. I'm just, I want clarification okay, here. Okay, I'll go 95. <laughs> See, now you're going to understand why. Because there's a tie. There's a tie between Randy and Josh. And because just, you made me change my mind. I didn't mind. make you change it. I did not make you change it. But you didn't, you kind of did what you do on FanDuel where you go gambling problem. You, you didn't Re- seem confirmed. We just never had to deal with this. I'm just saying. <laughs> Josh, we're going to the tiebreaker round. 
Here's right. what is going to happen. I'm going to read the tiebreaker question. Randy's going to write his answer down on a sheet of paper. We're going to give you first crack at it. We're going to give you about 10 seconds to reveal or share with us what your answer is. Then Randy will reveal what he's written down on the piece of paper. First to get it correct or closest to the pin wins. Randy, are you ready? Ready. Josh, are you ready? Let's go. Okay. I'm nervous. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Gentlemen, here is your tiebreaker question. How many National League pennants have the Cardinals won? Is this a real question? It, I'm, I'm Ron Burgundy reading it off the sheet. How many National League pennants have the Cardinals won? Josh, whenever you're ready. Randy, you can show me. Okay. Josh? Oh, man, they've been good for forever. Let's go 75. People, people can't see this. Randy, <laughs> Randy raises his arm. Oh, the pool. Oh, that's oh, the pool. My bad. Randy, my bad. Eat. Matt, ring the bell. Just win, baby. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by High and Dry Foundation Repair, home of the non-commission-based sales force and hassle-free warranty. Go ahead, Randy. We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are bad. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. <laughs> Couldn't even wait for the sounder. <laughs> Arms raised in victory. I wish that we had cameras in the studio. Randy <laughs> bounced out of his chair when he heard Josh's answer for the tiebreaker. I'm sorry, Josh. He beat you on the tiebreaker. Randy got it correct. We didn't even need it closest right. to the pin situation. But thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Hey, thank you guys. You guys are awesome. Appreciate it. You're thank you awesome, very much. Josh. Have a great day. Randy. <laughs> I was worried, though, that if you didn't win this fight, because I asked for clarification, <laughs> that we might have some tension in the studio later. Okay, run th- running through our answers. So, two sets of father-son duos to have a three-home run game in their careers. The Griffies did it. So did the Fielders. Cecil and Prince Fielder in 1990 and 96. Through 11. No, uh, Cecil had one 90-96, and then there you go. Prince had his in 11. Sorry. There you go. There you go. I'm just, again, Ron Burgundy, just uh, reading this. I'm like, 96 through 11? I'm Ron Burgundy. I'm Ron Burgundy? Okay, there are seven franchises to never be involved. And by the way, at this time in the show, I will read anything you put in front of me. My brain is melting, like that new emoji where the face emoji melts. Yeah, yeah. There are seven franchises to never be involved, win or lose, in a perfect game in their history. Three of them currently reside in the National League Central. The Cardinals and Brewers are two. The other National League Central team to never be involved in a perfect game is the Pittsburgh Pirates. On this day in 96, which was the first ever Major League Baseball game played outside the U.S., it was between the Expos and the Cardinals, Nelson Bryles started Nelly. that game for the Cardinals. I'm oh, surprised you're not Nelly. calling him Nebry. <laughs> He's old school. He's oh, Nelly. Okay, great. Um, the last time the Cardinals finished last in their division was 1990. 1990. Oh, that's what I kind of thought. Yeah. And then I said, final answer. <laughs> Again, we just never had to deal with this. <laughs> they finished sixth in the National League East, which went to the tiebreaker question, which you knew. How many National League pennants the Cardinals have won? The answer, 19. 
Josh guessed 75. Randy, right on the nose, 19. Hey, we want to wish a happy birthday to our director of sales here at Hubbard Radio. All five stations. He's like in charge of all the sales people. Uh, Keith Krause, 60 years old today. Congratulations to Keith. Keith, yeah. we love you. Keep You're it up. the best. Yeah. So uh, we found that out in our little, uh, we get a monthly newsletter and we found that out. So uh, happy birthday to Keith. Coming up, we're going to talk some blue. Hockey with Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. He's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. We always enjoy talking to our Blues insider from The Athletic, the one and only Jeremy Rutherford. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Good morning. Just listening to the show and listening to Michelle almost cost you the fight there, Randy. Oh, Unbelievable. I know. Can you be- yeah, it's, uh, it doesn't happen often, but now and then, yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> Just uh, hey, let's try to see if no. we can we can get Randy to slip up a little bit. Let's here. clarify this because had I not asked for clarification and you got it right, the text line would have said, "What's his name? Justice for Josh." It would have been justice for Josh. Randy was also, waffling. You can check it here. I put an X because you said 1995 first, and yeah. then I put a check mark because Thank you, you changed it, and then you changed it again. So I go, "It's X check mark X." Your original guess was an X. You know what? Here's JR trying to come in just like Frederick and stir things up, and I Vladdy Tarasenko at him right away. You don't open that door, JR, as you said in your piece. You don't open that door. You don't open that door. Well, now that we're here, I want to talk about your piece on Vladimir Tarasenko and his year for the Blues. Uh, Frederick did learn that you don't open that door with Vladimir Tarasenko. Yeah, he really did. And, you know, I felt in that game, you know, the Blues were losing, and, you know, Vladdy's been really good. Uh, Take nothing away from him. Um, didn't seem to be doing too much in that game, and that's the old cliche, wake up the bear. And So you guys saw that face-off draw, and, and uh, Frederick is kind of pushing Tarasenko. Happens all the time, happens every game, but Frederick going a little overboard, trying to get under Vladimir Tarasenko's skin, and Vladdy just kept uh, wiping it off, like, who cares, what's going on? He doesn't think about it. So anyway, after the end of that play, as everybody saw, it's Frederick who goes to finish the check, and he gets knocked down. So what does Vladdy do, come back and score two goals? I just thought it was really funny. In the post game. I said to Craig Bruby, you know, can you knock Vladimir Tarasenko down? He's kind of like a rock, and Craig Bruby just started chuckling. So uh, <laughs> quite a sequence there. And, Jer, we know what type of player Vladimir Tarasenko is, but it just seems like he's got that little extra something this season. Is it just simply that he's healthy for the first time in many years, or do you think he's motivated by something else? I think it's a couple things, and number one, it has to be the health. It has to be, because you could be motivated, you could be on a great team, you could have all kinds of things going for you, and if you're not healthy, you're not going to be able to score 28 goals. And oh, by the way, a career-high 39 assists. His passing has been uh, terrific this year. So first and foremost is the health and then the motivation. And and perhaps, you know, the trade request at the end of the day uh, will be moot, and perhaps he'll stay. We don't know, but at the beginning of the season, when he started, you know, game one, Guys, he was motivated because he was looking for a trade at that point. So uh, I think uh, that's been a big key. Uh, but going back to when I talked to the doctor, I talked to Vladimir Tarasenko's doctor last summer. He was the guy who said, look, just having this guy in my office, talking to him about the surgery, 
I can tell how motivated he is to get back on the ice and perform. JR, the Athletic is really invested in hockey analytics, and we learn something from the hockey analytics on a regular basis. That being said, the analytics don't love the Blues. So from that perspective, with the analytics not loving the Blues, why are the Blues good? Well, I think it's a situation I've been thinking about this a little uh, today, texting back and forth with uh, BK even. Uh, I think it's a situation where you have a team that scores a lot of goals. They're scoring at a high percentage. The shooting percentage is best in the league. This isn't a team that's just throwing a bunch of pucks at the net, 35, 36 shots a night, scoring two or three. You have a deep forward group. And so we, we know from a scoring standpoint that these guys have scored, but they've been pretty selective shooting to the point where we're almost yelling at them to shoot the puck, right? There's too much passing. And I also think you got a defense here, you know, same thing. It's not a couple guys back at the blue line just throwing slop at the net. You have Tory Krug and Justin Falk who have good shots, put them on net, and they have 23 combined goals. So to me, when you look at this team, I think that they've pretty been pretty good in terms of uh, scoring, which is going to lead to that high shooting percentage, and a lot of the analytics people are going to say that's not sustainable. Hey, listen, they could be right. You get to the playoffs, that balanced scoring doesn't always show up. You're not going to win games 5-2, to 5-3. to three. They're going to be tight games. So this could be a factor in the postseason, but as of right now, the Blues have been able to maintain what they've been doing most of the year. Do you agree with my assessment, and it's more old school, that even now, even though the Lightning have won the last two Stanley Cups. You kind of throw some of that stuff out the window come playoff time because it is it really is a different game. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, you can't do that all the time because sometimes the analytics uh, will prevail. But I think we've seen with this uh, Blues team over the years, and including the Stanley Cup year, is they just put it together and went on a run. And, you know, how do you... How do you chalk up, uh, you know, what do you write in the books to, to talk about the influence that Pat Maroon had on the team? <laughs> right. You know, where, where's, where's the analytics for that? So, you know, I think you have to have a mixture, a little bit of both, but I think in terms of uh, the, the old school mentality that you're talking about, Randy, that definitely comes into play in the postseason. Well, with all that being said, JR, and the fact that the Blues are peaking at the perfect time, they've won six in a row. When you look at this team, do you think they have the components to go on a deep run? Are they a true Stanley Cup contender? Yeah, I think that they, they have shown that they do. I, I think that the talent's there. I think that the, the will, the urgency, you know, which usually shows up playoff time, and it's obviously shown up here in this last stretch with the Blues, you know, that has to continue to be there. You can't be talking post-game about having a bad second period and you only got two shots on goal. You know, that can't happen. The other thing is, you know, we asked the question, you know, deep playoff run. You got a couple teams that you could face, including Minnesota in the first round. You know, they are just on fire. Uh, just like the Blues. You look at Colorado, they're on fire. McKinnon with the hat trick last night, they're playing well. So this isn't a situation where you look at the playoff matchups and you say, wow, the Blues have matched up great against those guys. I could see the Blues going two or three rounds. These are going to be hard-fought playoff series. The Blues are going to have to be at their absolute best if we're talking about a deep playoff run. JR, remember towards the end of Mike Yo's tenure here, and Mike Yo, as we know, is bald, and he would walk up to the podium after a performance that the Blues that he didn't like, and his whole head would be red. He would just be furious, and, and then he would spout off, and I have to believe the Blues didn't take very well to it. The reason that I bring that up is because, and I actually talked to Oliver Marmol about this the other day, I don't know that Craig Bruby could be more even keel than he is. Yeah, and I think that's probably the case uh, definitely in the, in the press conferences. Uh, you know, we talk about the hand pass. He went in there with an even-keel attitude. 
when I talked to Larry Robinson, the Hall of Famer, about Craig Ruby, he said, you know, for a guy who was a, a fighter, an instigator, a guy who started up in the league, he sure does have a calm demeanor. So I think you're 100% accurate about that. Um, you know, I, I would guess that if we had a player on the line here, they'd say that he's come in on, on occasion and, and probably gotten into him a little bit. But, you know, how can you not over the course of a, of a season? But I think by and large, big picture, Randy, you're right, that calm demeanor, it drips down from the head coach to the player's they feel that sense of confidence because they see it with their leader. And I was telling Ali Marmol the story, and I've told it before on the air, but if you haven't heard it, it's kind of fun. In 1982, I was the first base usher for Costello Service for the World Series. And then my job would be to go down and check media passes. So I was right there at the media room in the doorway. Cardinals lose game one to the Brewers, 10 nothing to a pitcher named Mike Caldwell. Whitey comes in, sits down at his table at the podium, his Glad that wasn't a doubleheader, and the, the entire place broke up. Here you are, game one of the World Series, and he's able to maintain that even keel, and that's one of the reasons that his team's always won, because the players knew what to expect, and like you said, Jr., that attitude, that demeanor, that even keel of a head coach or a manager, it does filter down to the clubhouse or the, the dressing room. Randy, I think you just did a huge favor for this Cardinals team. Marmol might take that into account and uh, kind of back off those guys now after a few games. <laughs> I think he's a pretty even keel guy from uh, the little that I know of him. But you can never it can never hurt to just kind of reinforce that, hey, I want to be the same guy every day. That's all players want is to, to see and deal with the same guy every day. Yeah, so the biggest thing is it's such a long season. You can't have the roller coaster. It's going to get old. Absolutely, Jr. Always great to have you with us. Are you? Uh, you're in Buffalo. Are you are. Did you go move on to Buffalo from Boston? Yeah, yeah. I'm oh, in Anchor Buffalo bar now then. and uh, getting ready. Getting ready to head over to the rink. Yeah, you know, went to the Anchor Bar last night. And guys, just a quick one here that involves uh, Joey Vitale, of oh. course. Uh, so it's a tw- it's a fifteen twenty minute Uber ride from the hotel. I took it over there by myself uh, and met the group over at Anchor Bar. And so you finish up the wings, right? You know what it's like to have a few wings. Your belly's full, everything. Well, guess what Vitale says. Hey guys, why don't we walk back? I look at I look at Vitaly. It was a twenty minute Uber ride. How long is this walk? So, well, maybe we uh, maybe we walked off a few wings last night on the walk back. Wow. Good that, for you, that Joey Vitaly. I tell you. He's so you great. did walk back, Jr. Yeah, yeah, we did it. Yeah, I looked like I just got done finishing a Michelle Smallman marathon when oh. I got back. But. And how long did it take you? I think it was a good forty five fifty minutes. Yeah, that's awesome. Have a great day, yeah. Jr. Thanks. All right, see you guys. See you, Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues Insider from The Athletic on 101 ESPN. Coming up, our friend from ESPN, Jesse Rogers, will join us to talk about tanking. He's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, 101 ESPN in St. Louis, and we always enjoy the work of Jesse Rogers at ESPN.com and on MLB Network, or I'm sorry, on ESPN, covering the MLB for ESPN. Jesse has a great piece up right now uh, about the new CBA and how it was supposed to help fix tanking, but it hasn't. And Jesse joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? 
I'm doing good. Good morning. Good to be with you guys. Well, I want to start with this because I, I obviously here in St. Louis, I read your piece and I'm thinking about the Cardinals and specifically Dave Dombrowski saying that he can't imagine that there's going to be a team that doesn't have to press the reset button. The last time the Cardinals, Jesse, finished with the worst record in the National League was 1918. Every other team has had the worst record in the league at least once since uh, 1990. Why do you think it is that the Cardinals have been able to avoid that fate? It starts with a philosophy, to be honest. I, I've talked to Mosaic about this recently. They just don't rebuild. If you start with that philosophy and work backwards, well, then every year you're trying to compete. Now, it's not always going to work out. I also think that if you are an organization that is good with pitching, drafting pitching, developing pitching, always having pitching, you're always going to be in the mix in one capacity or another, right? And when you add another wild card, you're really going to be in the mix. So I think it's all those things combined. Now, having said that, the, the St. Louis Cardinals are in a pretty good um, situation when it comes to revenue sharing, right, and attendance. Um, most executives that talk about the Cardinals are jealous of the situation that, they are, that they're sort of presented with. They get money from revenue sharing. They also draw 3 million fans and, and can spend when they need to, although I'm sure Cardinal fans always want to spend more every <laughs> fan base does. So I think the Cardinals are in a unique position um, because of some of the finances that sort of lean their way, um, but also because their philosophy. I, I give them a lot of credit. They're, they're, there's a reason. It's not a fluke that they haven't had the worst record in all those years, but they also have some advantages. Jesse, we've seen tanking work for teams like the Cubs and the Astros, but is it really the best approach to try to win? Are, I guess my question is, are you surprised more teams don't take the Cardinals' philosophy when you or do you really think tanking is the best way for teams to try to go out there and win no it, it probably is it, it, it yes i mean if you're willing to wait the four or five years and it's not always going to work but but if you're asking me if it's the best way to do it yes because it gives you all this opportunity to trade your uh, sort of veteran players for tons of prospects i mean it's a math equation at the end of the day if 10 percent of all prospects make it and you have 10 prospects well one's going to make it if you have 100 10 are going to make it and if 10 make it, now you have a foundation for a, a core, uh, you know, sort of contending team at probably cheap numbers monetary-wise uh, because you're getting them at the beginning of their careers. And then you can augment with free agents as need be, as the Astros did and the Cubs did. So, yes, on paper it's the best way, but is it the best way to win year to year? No, the Cardinals' way is the better year, a better way to do it. Um, even if you don't win it all, it's still entertaining baseball most of the time through September. So, so sure, by, by definition, it might be the best way, but those, those lean years, you know, that, that's not fun for, for fan bases. But what teams have done is sold fans on prospects. And it's amazing how, and this is what ticks off players, it's amazing how open and honest they've been about it in a lot of ways. I mean, uh, the, the Reds CEO the other day, the Orioles opening day put out a message that since 2019, our prospect rankings have flewed through the roof. Nothing about uh, the, the, the team on the field at the major league level, because that's awful. So it's really weird how it's become the norm, and that's kind of what I wanted to point out. Um, as much as the CBA, and, and uh, there was talk about it, all they did was institute this draft lottery, and I don't think it's enough. Now, they don't think it's enough either, but they're going to watch it a little bit more closely over the next five years, and then maybe take another step, you know, at that point. But it's still still weird to see teams just openly 
come out and say, yeah, you got to wait it out. We're, our, our, we're worried more about our prospect rankings than we are about the win-loss record at the major league level. Jesse, if they don't think it's going to be enough and they really want to curb tanking, then why are they so against a salary floor or salary cap? Well, as you read in my article, not everyone is. There are some agents that, that believe they should have explored it a little bit more. Uh, but the bottom line is it, it, it's driven by the stars in this game. I mean, Major League Baseball has the most guaranteed 200 and $300 million deals. That, I think, might be surprising to the average fan that thinks the NBA players all make a ton and the NFL players, and, of course, the NFL has non-guaranteed contracts. So the bottom line is if you end up with a hard cap at the top, that's going to limit the Corey Seegers and the Paul Goldschmidt's and the, you know, the Carlos Correa's. And that's the one thing that, you know, those agents aren't going to go for, limiting the stars. Those are the people that, you know, the reason people watch TV and come to the game. Um, the floor helps the, 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 you know, the average player, right, the rookie player, but it doesn't necessarily help the stars It's uh, because of the cap. So that's, that's why it's not going to happen. And the union prides themselves in just not having – a floor and a cap. They're the only union that doesn't have it. Jesse Rogers of ESPN with us on 101 ESPN. A couple of more things. Number one, short of a salary floor, what's the best thing to do to get teams like Cincinnati, Oakland, Pittsburgh to compete? Well, the thing that they've realized as a union, incentivizing really doesn't work. Um, you, You almost have to force it. And that's why a payroll floor would do that. You know, the proponents of a payroll floor say, look, that forces them to, to at least try a little bit. Uh, besides that, there's not a lot of great solutions. I mean, there's the one argument is owners can do what they want. It's their team and the, and the marketplace will respond, right? Uh, if Reds fans don't show up, they're showing their displeasure in their pocketbook. The problem is it's like that. You remember that Mel Brooks play the or movie, the producers, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. You can put on a losing product and still make money in baseball, though you've heard from baseball owners that don't agree with that. Baseball's not that profitable day-to-day. We have a disconnect when it comes to that. You know, Manfred mentioning in the, it's better to be in the stock market than owning a baseball team. And, I, you know, if you heard other owners say, say similar, that day-to-day it's not that profitable, you make your profit when you sell the team. So I don't know what the answer is since apparently putting on a losing product is not any – problem with them right they don't mind doing it for a few years at a time they don't really lower ticket prices when they do that um so you've you've got to put in some some guardrails um if if you know people talk about relegation right they do in soccer if you lose 103 years in a row you get sent to triple a that's not really realistic um maybe there's other ways besides a payroll floor to do that if you do have a couple 300 uh, 100 losing seasons in a row you get hit in the draft right you, you lose your first-round pick. I, I, there's, there's certain ways to do it, but the, 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 the key thing that I keep hearing is you can't incentivize owners. You have to force them, and that's kind of sad because you're forcing them to try to win. That's, that should be sort of part of their DNA, right? Mm-hmm. And by the way, I would think that if I put myself in Bill DeWitt's shoes and – even if I have to watch the the owners in Pittsburgh and Cincinnati pocket revenue sharing money, those are wins. I'm I'm, I'm willing to take those wins in this division if I'm Bill Dewitt. Yeah, I was surprised the Cardinals um, when that report came out from the Athletic about the four owners that voted against the the, the first proposal with the higher CBT and all mm-hmm. that. I was surprised the Cardinals were not one of them because. That's where I, I give respect to the Cardinals, who have an argument 
to vote against higher CBTs because they actually try to win. But if the CBT goes too high, I understand they can't necessarily compete with the Yankees. I mean, the Yankees draw more revenue because they're in New York. So if that CBT goes too high, they will lose out. The Cardinals and the Brewers, teams like that, will lose out on decent players to these other teams that are willing to spend all the way up to the CBT. Now, the other argument is every team could probably spend up to the CBT, including the Cardinals. But I, I, I think there's truth to, to, to be had when you say the Yankees can spend more than the Cardinals, like uh, on its face value. So uh, I give the Cardinals credit. But again, they're in a good situation. They get revenue sharing and still draw $3 million. There's not many teams that can, can say that. Jesse, the thing here is Cardinal fans are thinking there's always a Dick Monfort out there. <laughs> Yeah, there is. You're right. <laughs> I mean, that's the bottom line. And um, the Cardinals have been good. And, and, and the Cardinals and the, and the teams like the Cubs, and there's certain teams that can can ri- almost take a risk because they know the reward might might pan out more than other ways. In, in other words, Paul Goldschmidt was there, in my mind, for 15 minutes before he signed up long-term. Nolan Arenado wanted to be in St. Louis. There's not a lot of markets that, that, that get that sort of um, loyalty uh, for, for, from players and, and, and fans. And St. Louis Cardinals have it, but they've built it up. I give them credit. They've built it up over decades, the whole Cardinals way and everything else. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think they're in a good spot because of what they've done. And these other teams, you know what? They, you reap what you sow sometimes. And, and, and Montford and the Rockies and some of these teams like that, they're, they're, they're reaping it, but they're making money, right? Mm-hmm, their, franchise right. Values are, their franchise values are going up. Jesse, you always give us something to talk about with what you write at ESPN.com. We thank you so much for the time this morning, and as the season unfolds, we'll talk again. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you. you. See you later. That's our friend Jesse Rogers from ESPN, and he's out of Chicago on 101 ESPN. Next up, our friend Hall of Famer Isaac Bruce has a youth football camp coming up at what used to be Rams Park is now the Lufus Athletic Center. Isaac joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's Big Thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Seidenstricker Noby John Deere. Find them online at snpartners.com. Celebration that's called the Bob and Weave. Warner to throw. Going deep downfield, adjusting for it is Isaac Bruce. And Isaac Bruce threads his way for a touchdown. the highlights of the Hall of Famer, Isaac Bruce, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and Isaac is with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. Good morning, Isaac. How are you? Hey, I'm well and I'm blessed. Randy, how you doing? Michelle, how are you? Doing well, Isaac. Thanks so much. We're thrilled to have you with us and thrilled that you'll be back in town. Saturday, June 4th, you're going to have your annual youth football clinic. Kids 8 to 10 years old from 9 to 11 a.m., 11 to 13 from noon to 2, and 
Kids can register at IsaacBruce.org. It'll take place at what used to be Rams Park, is now the Lufius Training Center. And I know, Isaac, having been there a few times, that that's something you really enjoy is interacting with the youth and teaching them not only about football, but about how football can impact their lives. Oh, absolutely. Uh, not only me, but my partners and my sponsors who, who always help me put this together, Amron, uh, Mercy, Dr. Homer, uh, Performance Chiropractic, and Lou Fuse football, where we get to host this football camp once a year, man. So it's been a it's been a huge uh, uplifting moment to a lot of youths that come out. They learn football, they learn teamwork, and uh, I learn a lot about myself as well. So I enjoy putting it on. It's fun and uh, just a day off for everybody. Hey Isaac, what is the foundation? If you get a group of receivers, you've got twelve year old receivers. Where does the foundation start? What's the main thing that you want receivers to do and to know? Well, first and foremost, it's always about technique. Uh, I let them know that they're talented. They're talent. They have a talent. They have gifts, but we want them to have talent plus. So we t- we teach pers- perseverance, hard work. Uh, you know, just start and stop as far as your stance is concerned. Uh, how to catch the ball? How to attack the football? Catching it with your hands versus body catching? Uh, just things like that. Things that we know that'll come up uh, during their football seasons. In the midst of a game, first quarter, second quarter, uh, things that will come up and that they'll see that they'll be prepared to uh, dominate and be at the very top of their position. Isaac, is there one player in today's NFL that you would tell these young people to look at as a great example of how to be a wide receiver plus? A guy that you would say, when you turn on the game on Sundays, watch him. That's who you want to emulate. Yeah, I, I like uh, the the kid out of Arizona, uh, DeAndre Hopkins. He's a uh, route technician. He's competitive. Um, he's what I call a football player first and foremost. Uh, he's uh, one of those five two got two guys that has just about everything you need uh, to be a football player first. And then he also happens to play wide receiver, and he plays it with an edge. And uh, he's a he's an attacking style uh, receiver that I really like watching. He's a route connoisseur. He can uh, settle down in the zones. He can beat man to man. He can beat press coverage. So. When I watch football and I watch guys on a professional level, I like to see what they can do at the line of scrimmage as far as defeating press coverage and the way they attack the football. Isaac, I still haven't seen a guy that gets as open as you did because of their route-running ability. But, man, that Cooper Cup is close. He's amazing, <laughs> isn't he, how, how open he gets? Yes, absolutely. He's, uh, you know, uh, he's another uh, addition to that very long list, that leg- legacy of Ram wide receivers that we had. And uh, he, he really pushed the envelope this year uh, tremendously. And I mean, it's hard, like, you know, defenses go in knowing that he's the guy, he's the catalyst for the entire offense, but you still can't cover him. And uh, for him to just do what he did this season, finishing off with a Super Bowl championship, man, it was just awesome. Isaac, listening to you talk, you're obviously so good at explaining things. You're so good at identifying talent. You would make a great head coach one day. And any time that we talk about the XFL or football coming back to St. Louis, our text line lights up. We would love Isaac Mm -hmm. Bruce to be the head coach. He would be amazing at that. Is that something that you would ever consider or be interested in? You know what? I would consider it, uh, particularly because it's in the St. Louis area. I mean, uh, the fans are tremendous, tremendous football fans, as we know. And they love football. There's a, there's a, there's a, fever pitch for football that's spreading throughout uh, our entire country that's already there, and it's starting to go globally. So um, I would consider it certain spots, South Florida being one of them, 
St. Louis definitely being another. Isaac Bruce with us on 101 ESPN, the Hall of Famer. I got to get what your reaction was when you saw the Devontae Adams trade and contract and when you saw the Tyreek Hill trade and contract. Well, first of all, the contract stood stood out more than the trades, you know, the actual uh, what well, going from team to team. But, you know, I'm excited about these guys and, and the contracts that they're getting. I mean, I knew that, you know, once I finished playing and the way the, the game was headed, how compensation would change, how it would benefit the guys who are actually catching these passes, going across the middle, and the guys who are also throwing them as well. So, um, you, you know, the game has become uh, a premium for playmakers. I mean, it's, a, it's an arms race for just about every franchise as you look at it, uh, from having a great quarterback to guys who can make plays on the perimeter in the slot and then on the opposite side, guys who can rush the passer and uh, have a skill set that can get after the quarterback and, and probably pressure him and make, make him get rid of the football before he wants to. So the compensation is starting to fit these guys. I'm excited about it, man, and I, I just, I'm just happy for them. How can, and, and you know the Dolphins, you grew up a Dolphins fan, how can Tyreek Hill make Tua better? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, he has his work cut out. Let's just be real. But I think <laughs> the biggest thing he can do for Tua is help to change his mindset, help him to get back to the point where when he was in college at Alabama, to trust where he's putting the football, where he's throwing it, anticipate a little bit better. So he's been with one of these, uh, one of the premier quarterbacks in the league for a long time, talking about uh, Tyreek. So I think he can take what he learned, not only from Mahomes, but from Andy Reid, as far as what, what, what our NFL quarterback should look back, look like and impart that to Tua. So, um, you know, many times I sat in meeting rooms with Coach Mike Martz, and he was tutoring quarterbacks, quarterback after quarterback. So you kind of start to know uh, what a quarterback step should be, when he should deliver the football, his footwork, things like that, the, the small intangibles that, you know, everybody doesn't see. But you know how a quarterback should look based on the coaching that you've been a part of. And I'm sure he's been a part of some great coaching with Andy Reid, up there in uh, Kansas City, and he can just impart all of that to Tua. Isaac, I want to go back to something you said at the beginning of this conversation when we were talking about your football clinic that, again, is happening June 4th, and you can get more information at IsaacBruce.org. You were talking about how you're going to be teaching these young kids about football, but then you also said, I also learn about myself, and I wrote that down because I love that you're still thinking about the fact that these young people are going to help you grow. What does Isaac Bruce learn about himself after a clinic like this? Oh, just how, just remembering how much fun the game of football is, how it builds, how it really exposes character and then puts us in a position where we can be coached up to be better than, than who and what we are at that time. So, I mean, I always look at the, 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 how much, how much uh, teamwork is needed in playing football. You need 11 guys to gain a yard in football. You also need 11 men to stop a yard in football. So, Everybody needs to know what their job is and to be able to do their job. So I think in a camps like this, it only reminds me just how important teamwork is. And teamwork makes the dream work. It really does. Hey, Isaac, with that being the case, Dick Vermeil got elected to the Hall of Fame. He's going in. I assume that you'll be in Canton, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, sir. And we'll be there. How much pride do you take in the fact that initially you and, and DV did not see eye to eye and you were able to forge right. not only a good but a great relationship where you love each other? Well, you know what? It, it, it's awesome because there was a point where 
we were definitely, uh, you know, had our own personal arms race, races versus each other. Um, you know, there might have been a time where I wanted to blow him out of the water and he wanted to do the same thing to me. But I think it was uh, really from a professional standpoint that we learned to really coexist with each other. And from that moment, that decision that we both made, a friendship developed. So, um, you know, like I said, uh, Coach Vermil, he's been a part of – he's come to my wedding. He's always calling, checking in on me. And uh, that's just the way he is. I always felt like he was one of the most loyal guys, and sometimes to a fault in the beginning. And that's the way I saw it. But he treats his players just like they're family. So always respected that as well, uh, just knowing and seeing that from, from players that played for him back in Philly, the Wilbert Marshalls of the world, uh, and, and, and uh, the Robert Montgomery's of the world. But just the way he just made everyone family that he was dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And uh, I'm glad to know Dick. I'm very happy for him, uh, very pleased with him being inducted to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and it's very well-deserved. And then the last thing, biggest change in Isaac Bruce's life since August 7th of 2021 when he was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. <laughs> the biggest change? Um I'd have to say, uh, you know, we got more sponsorships for uh, the Isaac Bruce Foundation, man. I mean, a lot of people kind of jumped on board with us. Uh, the vision for the foundation grew. Um, American Airlines, for example, man, gave us over 400, uh, excuse me, gave us 4 million air, air miles uh, for our Flight 300 program. So that wow. was huge in my eyes. And, you know, we get an opportunity to really impact other people's lives tremendously. And we love the fact that you impact St. Louis so tremendously. And again, people with the kids from ages 8 to 13 years old can attend the clinic June 4th at what used to be Rams Park, is now the Lufius Training Center. You can learn more and sign up at IsaacBruce.org. Isaac, we're always thrilled to have you on the program. We thanks, thank you that you took the time with us this morning, and uh, I will see you over there on June 4th. Hey, I appreciate it, Randy. And also, man, I'm also excited that Albert's back in town. Man. Isn't that incredible? This is, this is, it's awesome, man. I saw him hit his first home run on, on Sports Center the other day, man. It's just like old times. So, um, welcome home. Uh, it, it's a beautiful thing, man. I hope you know uh, the Cardinals do really well this year and, and possibly get that that next uh, World Series championship. It'd be great. Thank you, Isaac. Take care. All right, man. See ya. That is the great Hall of Famer Isaac Bruce. I have to believe, Michelle, that we've been doing this since May 2nd. We're closing in on a two-year anniversary of Carriker and Smallman. Uh, top three guests that we have on a regular basis? As Tony LaRusso said, tied for tied first. For first, yeah. Who would you put in that category? Mark McGuire? Yeah, Big Mac love. is there. Um, Isaac Bruce, definitely there. Yeah. Who else? Who runs at the top three? Oh. Our, our regulars, you know, we don't want to take our regulars for granted, right? I was going to say Adam Wainwright and David Prod need to be in their own category. Yeah. Ah, that's really tough because we have so many favorites. DV is such a prince. I was just going to say, it's really hard to exclude Dick Vermeil from that conversation. Yeah, so, but we're lucky. We are, we're lucky and we are so lucky that the greatest show on turf guys, that Isaac and Coach Vermeil and Tori and Kurt are still so invested in St. Louis. How about that amazing open that played before... Isaac's interview, hearing those calls, that's what gets me. That's what makes me miss having yeah. the NFL in St. Louis is to think back to Isaac Bruce and those magical moments. And like you said, not only the special things that we saw in the field, but the amazing people that came from that team that are still investing in our community. Yeah, that, that part of it is a big time bummer. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. You're killing me, Smalls, is next on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is time for... You're killing me, Smalls. Randy Derrickard got paid yesterday. Vegas... I still hate calling them the Las Vegas Raiders. It's kind of weird, isn't it? I oh, I did you hear me? I almost said Oakland, and I have to stop myself. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the Chargers. We clearly don't make that mistake with the Rams, but I still want to call them the San Diego Chargers. Mm-hmm. I still want to call them the Oakland Raiders. Anyway, I get it. The Las Vegas Raiders quarterback Derek Carr, like I said, he got paid yesterday a multi-year contract extension, three years, one hundred and twenty-one point five million dollars. That includes a no-trade clause and runs through the twenty twenty-five season. Smart move for them. Obviously became a leader of the franchise with the departure of John Gruden and the whole Henry Ruggs situation. And he was the big reason that they were able to trade for Devontae Adams. So you have he and Adams under contract for the long term. Need to work a little bit on the offensive line, but they've got a good running back in Josh Jacobs. Hunter Renfro on the other side is a nice receiver. They've got some really nice elements offensively, and he obviously is the cornerstone. He's underrated. He might be the most underrated quarterback in the whole league. I couldn't agree more. We don't talk about him the way that we should, and he's done nothing but be efficient and be a great leader. I Mm -hmm. mean, think about all the drama and turmoil that was going on in Vegas last season, and he was a a great face of the franchise for that organization. He was such a steady leader. I just think he's great, and I think that this was a well-deserved extension for him. Let me give you, over the last four years, I'll give you his touchdowns to interceptions. Last year, not as great as he had been. Uh, 23 touchdowns, 14 interceptions last year. Before that, 27-9, and 21-8, and 19-10, and 22-13. and 13. More than serviceable for the talent that he has had surrounding him. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, while Derek Carr's future is secure, Baker Mayfield's not so much, Randy. So he went on the You Never Know podcast. You never know. You never know. And you never know where Baker Mayfield may end up because he says Cleveland is not the place that he wants to be. We know that they gave all that guaranteed money to Deshaun Watson. They have let him know how they feel about him. And he says he feels disrespected. Right now, I was like, I really, truly... Honestly, have no regrets of my time in Cleveland of what I tried to give to that place. Right. And true Clevelanders and true Browns fans know know that. And that's why I can walk away from the whole situation feeling like I I did it. And now do you feel like do you feel like the way the office has handled it has been disrespectful to you given what's given where you came in and where they are now? And uh, I mean, yeah, the respect thing is like it, it's all it's all gonna be like a personal opinion. Yeah, like, and I don't like no, I, I feel disrespected hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Because I was told one thing and they completed another. That's what I'm in the middle of right now. And you know what? Okay, I got I got my taste of it because I've had four different head coaches in four years, a bunch of different coordinators. I've had talk about the highs. They always come back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they always come back. <laughs> always. Yeah. Come back. But like, I mean, I had great times my rookie year. Like, I didn't I didn't start in the beginning. I came in and got to have fun the back half of the year. 2019 sucked. 2020 was great. Made the playoffs. 2021 was miserable. It's like, yeah, I'm just looking for stabilization right now. And like, I know what I need to do for me to be, to be the best version of me and to be able to lead an organization. And like, I'm in a good place right now. Right. To where like, I have no clue where I'm going. 
Baker Mayfield saying he feels disrespected, fair or unfair? Totally fair. I agree. He's a year removed from taking Cleveland, Cleveland, to a playoff game. They went 11-5. and five. He has played for four head coaches in four years. That's the reality. And a bunch of coordinators. He is absolutely not wrong. Now, do I like everything he does? No. But he played hurt last year. He played with a bad shoulder. He's given them everything that they could have asked for from him. Yeah, I believe he has been disrespected. He was really hurt last year. I think people discount that, that he was not only playing through an injury, but that he has had such a carousel of personnel and head coaches and coordinators throughout his career. That's so difficult for a player. I mean, we saw that here in St. Louis with mm-hmm. so many head coaches and coordinators and things. And yes, Sam Bradford was injured, but I always wondered what it would have been like for him if he went somewhere like Pittsburgh that had stability and that could give him um, a settled place to develop and grow. I think that the environment that Baker Mayfield has been put into, it's going to be difficult for almost anyone to succeed in it. I mean, look at Trevor Lawrence yeah. and what happened in Jacksonville. Yes, he was a rookie, but look at all the drama and the un- and the uncertainty that was surrounding him. That is not the environment that you need to put a number one overall pick in to have success, but unfortunately, those are the organizations that are picking number one overall. And it starts at the top with ownership. And by the way, I thought it was cool that his dog was sleeping on his back throughout the interview. Flipping around. That dog was was just really living its best life. I agree. You're killing me, Smalls! Now, Baker Mayfield was talking to on the You Never Know podcast about the way that the fans have treated him at times. And he wishes that he could turn the tables. Here's what Baker Mayfield had to say. I would love to show up to somebody's cubicle and just boo the (laughs) out of them. And and watch watch them crumble. He is not wrong. I would love if I always said that if I had the money to produce a show like this, mm-hmm. this is what I would like to do. I want to do a show that's a spin. On, and by the way, can I say if I say like how Michael Scott declares bankruptcy, I'm declaring mm-hmm. bankruptcy. If I declare trademark, is it trademarking something? If I share yeah, my idea, go ahead. Mm-hmm. okay, I declare trademark. But I want to do a show that's like to catch a predator, but it's called How to Catch a Troll. And you have somebody like Baker Mayfield and some somebody out there that we don't know about who gets harassed online or gets harassed by people with burner accounts or whatever Mm -hmm. and I want him to be able to show up to Joe Bag of Donuts at the bank and just yell at him you're counting the money wrong I thought you went to school for this you've worked here at 20 years and this is the best that you can do I want to see that play out because I think the way people treat others especially online today is just repulsive I don't disagree with that if we're selling tickets so that we can watch that banker and we have reasonable expectations of the banker that I can totally buy in. If, we, if we're buying tickets to see that person work in their cubicle and we have expectations of what we're going to get from their job, then I'm all in on booing. If, if people want to come in, we should do this. Sell tickets for this show. Yeah. And if people want to, because they have expectations for us, if they want to come and boo us, I think we should set it up that way. But, but there's expectations for any job. But mo- but. Those jobs don't have fans in the stands that are paying to boo you. That's the difference. When you buy a ticket, you have the right to do that. Totally. But I think that there's a way of booing someone and that so many people take it over the line and are Mm -hmm. just awful to people today. And I just wish that they could see themselves through a different lens. If, For instance, if you are tweeting terrible things at Baker Mayfield awful things. Would you want your boss to see that? Would you want your kid to see the things that you say to somebody like Baker Mayfield? Probably not. I would just love for those people to be exposed and then have to answer for themselves. I'm not a booer, but I would not begrudge somebody who has spent a lot of money on tickets the right to boo. And this is kind of like 
people hating on the Cardinals. Baker brought it on himself when he went to 11 and 5 in Cleveland and developed those expectations that he, not just him but the organization but he's the face, right? And if the team doesn't perform well, who's going to get the brunt of the criticism? The quarterback is. That's why the quarterback gets so much money. He is the face of the franchise. He's yeah. the one that's going to take the heat, whether it's deserved or not. I wonder if they kicked him out of his house yet. Probably. I don't think so. It's probably going to be uncomfortable for him when there's pictures of Deshaun going up in his house. Yeah, not great. Not great. I also wonder where he's going to end up. And if he gets into the right environment and he's healthy, what type of Baker Mayfield we're going to see. I really think, and he mentioned Seattle in the podcast. He did. If he winds up with DK Metcalf and Lockett as his receivers, and Carson is going to be back there as their running back, they need to work on their offensive line. But most importantly, I think he has the perfect personality to play for Pete Carroll. I think that he could succeed in Seattle. Don't you see him and Pete both chomping on gum, pacing down the sidelines? Mm-hmm. I could see them maybe getting a workout in together. I think that they would yeah. fit together well. I could absolutely see Pete, see Pete Carroll coming into a coach's post-game press conference after they win and said, I could tell he looked dangerous today. But Randy, what about Drew Locke? Yeah, I feel for Drew. I feel <laughs> You're for so Drew. ready to kick the Mizzou guy out of his new role there? <laughs> Baker's made the playoffs. The dance-offs are going to be incredible. Yeah, they are. That's true. Good point. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. Coming up, we're going to head down the stretch with what's on tap as we head towards a balloon party with T-Mac and Ajax here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Joe Vitale. We'll talk with Jay Delsing. We're going to talk to Tom Reed, an analyst for the Minnesota Wild as the Blues get ready to take on Minnesota again this weekend. All in all, Michelle, sounds like a pretty good Friday. Oh, Randy. A little Easter humor there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, how'd you get it? So, uh, Oh, Randy Carriker. Fun story, and uh, Scott Linehan didn't have many. But his brother-in-law is Jim Caviezel, who played Jesus in Passion of the Christ. Wow. And when... What a fun fact. Well, here's a more fun fact. Okay. Jim Caviezel is nailed up to the cross in the filming of the movie. Linehan is the offensive coordinator of the Vikings. And you've got Jesus asking from the cross, hey, what's the Vikings score? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> Isn't that great? Pretty good. Yeah. So. I'm sorry. That the the post Marts actually not that's not even true. The last year of Marts through the end is some of the most unbelievable like 12 13 years of stories in sports. It's 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 kind of oh, like the early, yeah. it's kind of like the Epic. 90s blues where it's like every time you tell somebody who wasn't there the mounting stories, you're like, no, this didn't happen. This, this, You can't keep telling me these more ridiculous stories of off the field and on the field stuff. How does this keep happening? The Rams are exactly like that. Yeah, everything except for the Vermeil years were that Yeah, way. it's so crazy. It's pretty crazy. It's almost so bad that it's funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel sorry for a lot of the guys that had to deal with that stuff. We did get a text 65780. Let me take a stab at reading this one. Uh, oh, is it about OJ? Uh, treating each other poorly? You mean like characters repeated <laughs> jokes over the years regarding the victims in the OJ case? Never joked about the victims. I knew this joke was about coming. Uh, this by reference to uh, slashing another knife. It's the way he ran the football. Okay? Is it? Well. Is it? Was he a sharp guy? 
maybe, yes, maybe not. Randy the Sharp. I mean, hmm. do you follow him on social media? I need to. He really puts out content on the regular. So okay, yeah, I'll I'll check it out. It's so weird. It's like hmm. the OJ. Yeah, the OJ stuff's so weird because like. And by the way, he did treat people poorly. I, I would suggest that OJ, uh, whether he was convicted or not, I would suggest that uh, that's probably treating him pretty poorly. I don't understand. Like every week, you'll see a video, and it's him like in partying in Vegas, and he's just surrounded like by a group of like eight twenty-five-year-old women, and I don't understand what the what the overall draw is or, or how it happens so consistently. I don't know. It's the weirdest thing in the world. It is. What else we got? Who else is on our Mount Rushmore list of favorite guests? There's been a lot of response to the text line. Chris Long is great. Chris was, Long's on the list. So we aren't counting Greg. We aren't We aren't counting our weeklies. Let's right. put it that way. David Prawn, Adam Wainwright, Joe Vitale, Greg, Greg Amzinger. Amzinger. The list goes on. Yeah, ineligible. Our, our, our weekly guy's ineligible. Um, yeah, a lot of people suggesting Aeneas Williams. Awesome guy. One of our favorites. Absolutely love. Um, the Wizard? Ozzy Smith. Always great. Yep. There's got to be somebody else that we could throw out. So there. who's a, who are the first three? We've got Isaac. We've got DV. I would put Isaac and McGuire. McGuire one two. I would say mm-hmm. you know who else I always love talking to Randy is Bob Costas. He yep. always gives us great. We do it probably once a year, at least, and yep. he always gives us great stories. And he he isn't afraid to say something. He has a good opinion on things. Mm-hmm. He's great. I mean, it's Bob Costas. Of course, he's great. There's got to be somebody else. Yeah, there does. We'll come up with it. Oh, Kelly Chase. Oh, thank you, Matt. Chaser is the yeah, best. Chaser, yeah. That story, story time with Chaser. That story that he told about him practicing the video speech, the "Hey, buddy, we're still here" yeah. video speech on a boat, and what the guy on the boat next to him said. What did he say? Yeah. "Hey, buddy, you almost done" or something. <laughs> right. So funny. He's the best. Yeah. So that's a great call. So we're lucky in this town that we have so many people that. Whether through athletics or, well, it's all through athletics on this show, but sports casting or playing the games have, we've been lucky enough to be able to develop relationships with them and get them on the shows. It's great. What about this text from the 314? Michelle needs a raise for calmly and professionally dealing with Randy day in and day out. Your I thoughts? Don't disagree. I'm not going to say no to a raise, but I don't think that I deal with Randy. I think he deals with me. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't think we really have to deal. I, I, I think we come in and we, uh, all three of us, I think we have a pretty good time. You've only had to emergency go through the the uh, rundown like two times, I think, since I got here in like late January. Danny Mac had to do it two times as well. So like there's only four times where the co-host has had to go to the emergency. So coming up today later on the show as Randy is trying to hold in his laughter from whatever unbelievably awesome and crude joke he told. So oh, that's I, a, I think that's a good level of... of a, a good barometer for how hard it is to keep Randy in. Only like three or four times over the last couple months. There's many times I should have. <laughs> but I have not. <laughs> because usually I'm trying to not laugh because this is take you behind the scenes. When Randy gets me going and I start laughing, I can't, don't do it. I can't stop. We used to have to tape these, these FanDuel commercials and Randy would go, gambling problem? And it would <laughs> Laugh every time, and once I get going, I can't stop. So I try to take a deep breath, compose myself, because if not, the show's off the rails. So in other words, your bar is moving. Yes, <laughs> that what makes it great. Uh, from the six one eight, it cuts like a knife to hear you guys discuss OJ. Okay, enough. We get it. OJ knives. What a- alleged crimes? Right there, you go. They're alleged. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we'll right, about. according to the court of law. 
Right. He was found well, I not, guess they're not, not a- guilty by one court and then guilty by the civil court. So yes. it's more likely than not mm-hmm. that he probably whacked well, I guess, a couple yeah. of people. If he, <laughs> ex-wife and the waiter. Did you just say whacked? Yeah. So if if he was found guilty, it's not alleged, he was convicted. In a civil court. In a civil was. court, right. So not alleged. I redact that statement. Okay. Good. Uh, great job today by our producer engineer, the one, the only, Matthew Rocchio. Pleasure. <laughs> Michelle. <laughs> Randy, I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. And uh, until tomorrow, you know what? What? Tomorrow could be one of those days where... No, don't. <laughs> what? Let's... You know... Do we have a Jesus joke on deck? We do. I knew it. <laughs> you want to just wait till tomorrow? No, go ahead. You know, we just might feel dead at the end of the show tomorrow, but then let's wake up and be great on Sunday. Hit the button. We're done. <laughs> You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.